On this week's episode of the Tech Night Out Live, we'll hear from Daniel Aaron Dilger of Roughly Drafted Magazine and AppleInsider.com with his usual pithy comments. Paul Wagonseal gives us a security update. Jim Galbraith from Macworld will give you all the test results of the latest Apple hardware. Then we'll hear from Ted Landau, who will talk about the possible dumbing down of OS X Lion. This and more on the Tech Night Out Live. <laughs> Been a while, but we have Daniel Aaron Dilger of Roughly Drafted Magazine and AppleInsider.com. He's been a busy bee, though. He's reviewed the MacBook Air. He's, of course, looking into such things as iCloud, which developers of Apple products can now get a gander at. We'll ask him about that, about the lawsuits. But I wanted to start the discussion. Something, I know you haven't read the magazine, so I'm asking you out of ignorance here. The September issue of Consumer Reports magazine has an article on tablets and ebook readers. And typically, Apple rates at the top, but just barely, just barely above the Samsung Galaxy Tab 10.1. The criticism I always have, though, of Consumer Reports is that they don't care about the software. It's the last criterion they use. They mention that there are app stores, but they don't mention the selection of software. They're ignorant of the differences between the operating systems, and they rate 12 of what they call the top tablet apps, of which only two of the 12 were available on the Android OS. So what's wrong with Consumer Reports? Well, well, Gene, the, the name is Consumer Reports. And remember that consumers don't really get software. That's something that's becoming more and more clear to me. Businesses will pay a lot of money for software. Consumers don't really get the idea of software. So to reach consumers, you have to have an integrated product. And that's why Apple's doing quite well is because they sell software, have long sold software as being integrated into the device. So the Macintosh, for example, there's a lot of sophisticated software, but it's not separate. You don't buy a a computer and then put Mac OS on it. You buy a Mac from Apple and it just works and there's all these things that work well on it. Consumers don't have to pay for that. And even the iLife apps, which are quite good, they integrate them in so they're almost free. They're bundled in. There's a few things that Apple has been I think, phenomenal in doing and creating software markets where people actually pay for things. iTunes has people paying for music. The whole music industry died in in the last decade because whenever you separate software from a physical thing, people don't get that they need to pay for it anymore. So, for example, with DVDs or cassettes or, you know, 8-tracks back when we were children, (laughs) there's always this physical medium connected to the software that people get that they have to pay for this because it's a piece of plastic. But when you have just the music itself as a digital file, people are like, why should I pay for this? I can copy it and move it around. So people suddenly forget that there's something of value there that they're paying for. And it's the same thing with computer software or movies or anything else. As soon as you make it possible to rip the content off of the piece of plastic that it's associated with, people suddenly, their idea of the value of that software vanishes. Obviously, there's no value in having something attached to something physical. 
It's just a conceptual thing that people don't get. So, okay, so the other question I want to ask, though, which is what you've raised before we go back to CR, is Apple now has removed the boxes from lots of their products, including the operating system. So there's no value to it anymore? What's interesting is that Apple has created this alternative to having hard copy. So instead of having a hard disk, like a, an optical disk or something that you're buying a box with this disk in it, that people kind of understand... They have the whole system in iTunes where instead of just having files, you're working with, you know, iTunes and the App Store are kind of like catalogs. So it's sort of like it's kind of a virtual physical <laughs> experience of where you're actually buying a title. You're, you're, there's artwork and there's, there's kind of like an identity given to it. And that's how Apple has, has transferred people, consumers, to the idea of paying for music or movies or software that a lot of other companies haven't been able to do. Interestingly, I mean, Apple is only reaching a small segment of the population. There's a big population outside of Apple's ecosystem that's cool with just continuing to steal stuff, and they're never going to go to iTunes and pay for things. You know, people that buy an Android phone are not doing that as an alternative to buying an iPhone. They're doing it because they don't want to ever pay for anything. That's why no one's buying Android apps. But is that also possibly true that when people go into a cell phone store or a consumer electronics outlet, do they even realize there's a difference or there should be a difference? Consumer Reports doesn't know. That's the point. They think that all tablets are the same. They're starting to figure that out. I was reading an article written by somebody. I, I don't know if he was a developer or what, but he bought his mom an Android phone. And he was talking about setting it up. And it, it sounded very much like setting up a Windows PC. There's all these savvy people that don't have too much problem negotiating or navigating the world of electronics. They buy their parents a computer, like a Windows computer or an Android phone. And they suddenly realize, oh, wait, yeah, there is a difference when you're not, if this isn't your full-time job to deal with every day, this is really confusing stuff. And there's a lot of people that have got an Android phone and have gotten a taste of it. And they're like, oh, I actually want something that works and is easy to use. I don't want a kit. I don't That's want, a good you know, question. A I wanted to experience. ask you about that. Now, setting up an iPhone takes a few minutes. You get activated and you make a couple of quick settings and it's running. On Android phone, what do you have to do? Well, Android phone is kind of the same. I mean, it, it's not so difficult to set up. But when you start changing things or wanting to do something, when you install apps, you, you start realizing that, whoa, Android apps are not the same thing as iOS apps. First of all, there's no market to support good software. So there's a few good titles, but there's not the same quality. Android apps look like look awful compared to iOS apps, even from the same developer. They don't get updated as well because there's just no there's no commercial effort pushing it because there's no money in, in the apps. So it's a totally different experience. It's very much like, of course it is, like Linux, where you have no real commercial market for software. There's a lot of half-done software that you can futz with and make it work exactly the way you want it to. But for you know a large part of the, part of the population, that's either just too much time or it's too complicated to figure out. And a lot of stuff just doesn't work, and you have to know all this stuff. I mean, you want to do something simple like watch your Netflix on your phone. Well, with iOS, you just do it. On an Android phone, you need a very special model. I think there's only a couple different versions of, of Android phones, a couple different models that app even works on or even can work on. So, I mean, it's a totally different world. You go into it and you realize, whoa, there's layers of complexity that no one's handling. In the iOS world, Apple handles all that. Now, in the tablet world, the Android OS has very, very few apps. This is why you have this disparity where Consumer Reports finds 12 apps they recommend, and some of those recommendations are absurd, such as games, but they can only find two of them on the Android, and that, to them, is not a serious issue? Well, remember, Android was developed for phones. So the whole Android for tablets thing is just a, you know, they're just trying to 
copy of the iPad. And it, it's totally not designed for that. So there's already major strikes against Android even trying to be on the on the on an iPad like device. But even beyond that, you have company if you look at consumer reports, they're not looking at products and really evaluating them. They're kind of looking at an idea. So they look at the iPad and they think, what is the iPad? Well, it's this screen with computing capabilities. So if if you look at the iPad being that, you can compare all these other kind of duplicated devices that are also screens with a chip inside of them and try to compare them. What they're failing to realize is that the iPad isn't just a screen with computing device because we've had that for years. I mean, that's what Microsoft was trying to sell with their tablet PC for the last how long has it been through the 90s? I mean, 20 years of try- attempting to make a device like that that has been complete failure. So the iPad's value doesn't come from being a screen with computing power. It comes from a whole lot of work of making that piece of hardware work really well and be a canvas for third-party software. And that's where the real value in the iPad is. And the Android 3.0 Honeycomb is not doing that. Because it's not really a, a, a canvas for third-party software. It's kind of a demo of how to make a screen with some computing power show kind of interesting things. Real so this is, for example, why we see commercials for these tablets showing flashy special effects of which they're all capable. But they're not showing you using anything real, whereas, of course, the iPad ads are all about showing real use in the real world with real apps. We have Daniel Aaron Dilger of Roughly Drafted Magazine and Apple Insider. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in the Tech Night Out Live. Here are two things IT professionals and their clients have in common. They want the job done right. They want it done fast. That's why I highly recommend go to Assist Express by Citrix to anyone in IT. It puts clients at ease with its simple and secure remote support and puts you in a position to do what you do best, access, diagnose, and resolve. Try go to Assist Express free for 30 days. Visit gotoassist.com slash podcast to see how you can deliver live tech support to anyone. So here's what happened. I was placing an order online. The site went down. It just stopped responding. It took hours before it returned, but I'd already placed the order with another company. If your site goes down, you could lose business. And if you have a business or personal site, you'll want to know it's easy to run and it will stay online. At iWeb, your site is hosted on one of the most reliable networks in the world. Check it out. iWeb.com. That's iWeb.com. Have you ever felt like the United States government knows way too much about your financial affairs? I continue to hear stories about property seizures, frozen bank accounts, confiscation of stocks and bonds. It makes me wonder if the U.S. citizen will ever again have the right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Unfortunately, with the Drug and Money Laundering Act, the IRS Revenue Ruling 6045 of 1984, and the Trading with the Enemy Act and Franklin D. Roosevelt's Executive Order of 1933, some precious metal holdings are subject to government intervention. For this reason, Midas Resources has prepared a report explaining the boundaries of trading precious metals privately. Whether if you have any intention of trading with Midas Resources or not, I have instructed my representatives to give this report out free. 
Call for your free copy at 1-800-686-2237. When investing, always proceed with caution. Again, call 1-800-686-2237. Exercise your legal right to trade metals privately. 1-800-686-2237. Are you tired of spending money for metal canning lids year after year? Then stop! Stop buying metal lids and get Tatler reusable canning lids. Made of USDA and FDA-approved food-grade plastic, Tatler canning lids let you safely store emergency preparedness foods for years. Traditional metal lids are single-use throwaways that contain BPA, but Tatler canning lids are indefinitely reusable and guaranteed to last a lifetime when used as designed for home canning and contain no BPA. Tatler lids are dishwasher safe, perfect for standard pressure or water bath canning, eliminate food spoilage from acid corrosion, fit standard mason jars and are proudly made in the USA. Place orders by phone at 877-747-2793 or go to reusablecanninglids.com. That's 1-877-747-2793 or go to reusablecanninglids.com. That's reusablecanninglids.com. Tatler Reusable Canning Lids, the original since 1976. If you're concerned about radiation poisoning from Japan in the air, water, or food and can't find potassium iodide, go to RestoreYourHealthNow.com and choose Liquid Zeolite. Liquid Zeolite is hands down the best product to remove radiation from your body and safely removes toxins, heavy metals, boosts energy levels, and promotes a strong immune system. For fatigue, muscle weakness, headaches, memory loss, influenza, joint pain, or toxic radiation poisoning, use Liquid Zeolite from RestoreYourHealthNow.com. Liquid Zeolite is so powerful it was used to clean up contamination in Chernobyl, yet so gentle you won't even know you're taking it. Liquid Zeolite comes with a money-back guarantee but is only available at RestoreYourHealthNow.com. Learn how to get free bottles of Liquid Zeolite at RestoreYourHealthNow.com. That's RestoreYourHealthNow.com or call 800 880 Call 800-880-9976 today and learn how to get free bottles of liquid zeolite. The GCN Radio Network, providing the world with hard-hitting talk radio. GCN. Great talk radio starts here. We want to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the Tech Night All Live, send it to News at TechNightAll.com. That's News at TechNightAll.com. And don't forget, you can visit the famous Tech Night All community forums at Forum.TechNightAll.com. Get in on all the action. That's Forum.TechNightAll.com. Daniel Aaron Dilgrove, Roughly Drafted Magazine, joins the Tech Night Owl Live with Gene Steinberg. And we're focusing on the differences between the Android and the iOS and why Consumer Reports doesn't get it. And this is something that also upsets me. You'll read an article in one of the Mac or Apple supporting sites, and they'll say, look at this, it's wonderful. Consumer Reports gave a high rating to a Mac or an iPhone, except for not recommending it, or, for example, a tablet, an iPad. But they don't look at the fine print where the person who actually reads that article has no clue what to get. As far as they're concerned, it's all the same. Just check the hardware specs. Yeah, that kind of spec heavy. I mean, that was kind of the the PC mentality. A lot of people that were looking, you know, comparing Macs and PCs back in the day didn't see a lot of difference between them because they all had the same, you know, they had the same processor, you know, similar processor, same amount of RAM, same amount of hard drive space. They're looking at specs. 
And Apple doesn't really advertise specs. I mean, that's not the primary thing of what they're doing. I mean, they don't even publish what the, you know, chip speed of, well, I guess with the iPad, they do say it's a gigahertz processor, but there, there's not a lot of attention given to specs because the focus is on what you can do with it. If you look at the ads for the iPad, they're all about what you can do with it and how it's, how it's useful and how it fits into your lifestyle kind of thing. Other companies don't get that. And of course, Consumer Reports doesn't get that because they don't, they're seeing this as just kind of like a novelty piece of hardware that you can get from anywhere. They don't see that the value isn't just the hardware. It's really the the effort that goes into making the platform. And Google's platform isn't there yet. I mean, Android Honeycomb is not ready. It has never been tested. And, and it's not going to develop very fast because it doesn't have that commercial push behind it. I mean, there's just a number of different barriers that are keeping that from happening. And one of the biggest ones is that while in the PC world, the fact that Microsoft and hardware makers and software makers were kind of separate parties didn't hold up, hold back the PC as much. It's a much bigger issue to have close integration between hardware and software on a mobile device. Cause on a PC, you can get away with having, you know, your HP hardware and your windows software sort of working most of the time. There's not as many on a mobile device. You ha- you're working with far more constraints in terms of um, heat and battery life and, you're directly manipulating the screen, so things have to be faster and tuned better. I mean, everything about a mobile device has to be dialed in better. And so Apple is doing really well in mobile devices. They're leading smartphones, or they own the tablet market, because they're so good. I mean, they're so good at integrating. That's what the value that they add. So when you come in with kind of generic hardware makers or just software makers like Google, they're coming in to solve part of the problem and working with somebody else to, it just doesn't work very well. It's the same thing with the iPod. There were a lot of companies that tried, you know, Microsoft tried to have its place for sure, where it was kind of like, we're making the hardware, somebody else making the software, somebody else is selling the content through their store. Totally didn't work. And that's the kind of same problems that are hounding these tablet makers. You can make hardware that's, that's just as nice as the iPad, but as long as it doesn't run the software and it doesn't work the same way and it doesn't work as well with computers or doesn't, there, there's all, these, all this complexity that's very difficult to catch up with. And no one's really in the position of being in the same place as Apple to solve all those problems. I mean, the closest thing that you have to Apple, is, I would guess, is HP or perhaps RIM. And both of those companies don't have a built-in network of like retail stores that can just sell anything they make. So, I mean, I haven't worked a lot with the the HP tablet. I can't even think what it's called offhand, but it's the WebOS device. That may well be a nice device, but if nobody knows, if it, if it can't get to the market rapidly, how are they going to compete with the iPad? And the other issue, of course, with the HP device is, where are the apps for the WebOS? Yeah, I mean, HP is, and, and Palm kind of made some good decisions about how to develop a platform that's at least has potential with it's it's all based on you know web standards it's uses a webkit based um development system so you're kind of basically developing developing local web apps for it but still i mean there there, there's a lot of effort that has to go into that and somebody has to pay for that effort and how are you going to find enough consumers to pay for developing that technology when you don't have your device in front of consumers and then they're not aware of it so it's going to be very difficult to compete with Apple in mobile devices because they're so set in, in so many different respects. I mean, they have the experience in working with 
hardware and software integration, and they have the retail empire already. So, I mean, even Microsoft is finding it very difficult. How many stores do they have? Like a dozen? Apple what do you now, do with like, those stores? What do they sell? In Microsoft stores? Yeah. What? Well, they're trying, to, they're trying to replicate what Apple's doing. But they're not a hardware so, company. What do they sell? Boxes of Windows and that's it? No, they sell computers and they sell Zunes or whatever. Do, do they even sell the Zune anymore? I don't know. <laughs> so basically they make hardware. deals with third-party companies to sell their PC hardware. Yeah. So the only I mean, you have of their own is their boxes of software. Well, what Microsoft has figured out that Apple knows how to do retail. And so they're trying to copy it. I mean, they don't have the products to sell. They don't, they're not the same company as Apple. So it's kind of, it's kind of odd that they're trying to copy. But, um, yeah, I mean, they, they definitely are get that. I mean, everyone's looking at Apple and being like, wow, these people are just printing money with their retail stores. And, they, you know, Apple started this 10 years ago. How do you catch up? How do you start duplicating what Apple's doing? Because nobody in the tech industry has been doing that. And you're starting to see some companies, like, for example, Samsung. Samsung's trying to copy on the hardware level, and they're making some attempts to do software, although Samsung is not notable for being a software company. They, they tried to create their own Bada software platform, and I don't know a lot about it, um, but they were kind of overshadowed by Android, so they embraced Android. The problem with Android is anything Samsung does with Android is going to be competing against all the other Android developers. And they don't own Android outright. I mean, they can't take it in any direction they want. So they're somewhat limited by what Google's providing. So if Google decides to do something like Honeycomb, they kind of have to play along with it. Of course, the other issue here, we have all the lawsuits against Android. Yeah. I mean, that's going to kind of affect anybody. I mean, if, if... if Samsung was doing its own operating system, it would be facing some of the same issues as far as, you know, there's just so much patented stuff. I mean, Microsoft owns patents. Apple has patented everything they can. Um, you know, all these different companies, it's, it's turning into kind of a patent quagmire of making anything. It, it's difficult to make a unique product without running into these issues. And if you have something as, as out there as Android... I mean, everyone's trying to make money on Android, so it's, it's a huge target for patent stuff. I mean, you don't hear a lot of stuff about, for example, WebOS being assailed by patents because HP isn't making huge amounts of money on it yet. But Android is, after the, the iPhone, I mean, that's the, the big platform that's just a huge target for patents. Mm. So, I mean, it, I don't know. I think if some some of these companies, if they made their own specialized platforms could maybe dodge some of this patent stuff. But, yeah, it's a difficult situation for anybody. We have Daniel Aaron Dilger of Roughly Drafted Magazine. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in the Tech Night Owl Live. I've said it once, I'll say it again. You gotta back up. You gotta back up regularly. And the Carbonite Online Backup protects your pictures and your other files on your Mac or PC by automatically backing them up whenever you're online. When you have your inevitable disaster, a crash, theft, a virus on the PC side, Carbonite makes it easy to get your backed up files back with just a few clicks. With Carbonite, you neighbors can access your backed up 
up files privately from any computer or on your smartphone or iPad. Yes, your iPhone, your Android device, all with a free app. An unlimited backup program for your Mac or PC with anytime, anywhere access is only $59 a year. Start your free 15-day trial at Carbonite.com. Use the offer code TPN and get two free months if you decide to buy at Carbonite.com. For centuries, silver has been used as a powerful natural antibiotic. And as a listener to this station, you probably already know the benefits of using colloidal silver. With so many websites to choose from, finding a reputable patriotic company with great products at affordable prices can be a difficult task. Introducing UtopiaSilver.com. UtopiaSilver.com carries the best, most effective, and most affordable colloidal silver and colloidal gold products in the industry. UtopiaSilver.com also carries products to fit your lifestyle, including weight loss, immune system defense, cleanses, herbs, joint and bone care, and much more. First-time customers using promo code GCN50 will receive 50% off all colloidal products. Visit us today at Utopia Silver, that's U-T-O-P-I-A Silver, utopiasilver.com, or call 888-213-4338. That's 888-213-4338. Utopiasilver.com, taking back America's health care one American at a time. Big Berkey water filters are in high demand. Storable foods are also in high demand. BigBerkeyWaterFilters.com has always kept our focus on the Berkey water filter products. But increasingly, our customers have been asking for storable foods. After months of research, BigBerkeyWaterFilters.com now offers great-tasting, long-lasting, storable foods. These ready-to-eat meals are packed in airtight nitrogen pouches. All you do is just add water. And because they're sealed so well, they come with a 25-year shelf life. Combine our Berkey water filters, which are powerful enough to purify treated, untreated, or even stagnant pond water with our storable foods, and you have a winning combination. Remember, we offer free shipping on every order over $50, and GCN listeners receive 5% off all ceramic filter systems. Visit BigBerkeyWaterFilters.com or call 877-99-BERKEY. That's BigBerkeyWaterFilters.com or call 877-99-BERKEY today. If you drive for a living, you don't get paid to stop or wait in line. Keep your wheels moving with prepass. Bypass way stations. Fly by port of entry facilities. Stay moving at highway speed while the guy without prepass waits in line. Save time, save money. Call 888-401-PASS to try prepass free. That's 888-401-PASS. What's cooking at prizekitchen.com? Plenty. Low prices on your favorite kitchen brand appliances, Vitamix blenders, Omega juicers, reverse osmosis systems, and more. Plus, free shipping on it all. Prizekitchen.com gives your family the tools for a healthy lifestyle by eating more fruits and veggies and drinking pure water. Go to prizekitchen.com. Great selection, low prices, free shipping. Prizekitchen.com. We help make healthy lifestyles convenient. America's number one source for independent talk radio for over a decade. We are the GCN Radio Network. You're listening to the Tech Night Owl live with Gene Steinberg. You never know what's going to happen next. Daniel Aaron Dilger. 
from Roughly Drafted Magazine. He writes regularly for Apple Insider at appleinsider.com. I'm Gene Steinberg. This is the Tech Night Out Live. Now, just about Apple Insider, it used to be just a place to get Mac rumors. Now it's a more general interest technology site. You review products and everything. Well, we've always done product reviews. It's branched out from being mostly Mac to being a lot of things because Apple has branched out from being mostly Mac to being a lot of things. It is interesting to see how how Apple has kind of broadened out. And I mean, they're now like the most valuable tech company in the world. That's hard to imagine. <laughs> and they just own like a lot of emerging categories of products. The, the other thing that's interesting is Remember back in the day when Microsoft was kind of taking over things, and Microsoft was kind of celebrated as being kind of this great company that everyone should love because they're just so big. And the opposite is kind of happening with Apple. You have this this huge, it just seems like the media has a kind of a bias against Apple of Apple's doing this, but you know they put all this effort into making this product, and it's okay. But we have all those ripoff products that deserve your attention. <laughs> like you're saying with the Android stuff and, and the tablets. One of the one of the it always reminds me of comment that I think John Gruber made about all these Android devices are being graded on a curve. People don't say, you know, here's here's the real merits of this device and this device and this device. They say, you know, okay, so here's Apple, which yeah, it's a good product. But these other products they could be good if they fix this and this and this. I mean, nothing else is graded like that. If you look at cars, I mean, people don't say, you know, BMW, Mercedes, they make nice cars. But if you want a Daewoo, you know, it's, it's you know, it has four tires, too. It has a, it has a body. It has paint on it. And, and maybe if you fix the suspension, <laughs> you had more comfortable seats, <laughs> and you add leather, and you took out the steering rack and replaced the steering system. <sighs> maybe they'll have a car. <laughs> yeah, it's it's just very strange to see this this just kind of giddy optimism for especially for Android 3.0 before it even came out, no one even touched it. It's never been seen the light of day. You know, every time Apple comes out with something, everyone's like, "Oh, don't get the 1.0. You know, wait for wait 3 years until they really dial it in." But, you know, Android Google unleashes this version of this new version of Android, and it's like everyone's just ready to buy it before they've even seen it. I'm like, are you kidding? What's with the double standard? I don't know. It's just kind of weird, I think. I don't really get it. Well, certainly the fact that more Android gear is sold than iPhones, that's always a big issue. Except, of course, it's comparing one company with one product line against many companies with many product lines, and you can't figure out one from the other. Well, I mean, I if you start telling me this droid or that droid or this galaxy, soon your eyes just get glassy. Yeah, it's always kind of like the best, the best feature of each model in the Android ecosystem compared against the iPhone. It isn't like one model against the iPhone because nothing really compares that well. So you have to say, well, the price of the low-end stuff combined with the features of this high-end stuff that's more expensive than the iPhone it's kind of like this weird comparison. The other thing that's kind of interesting is that there's a group of people that kind of refer to Android as if it's like the the rebel sort of um, underdog taking on this big Apple corporation. When in reality, the real, I mean, Apple's really the underdog because it came in, what, three or four years ago into the phone market, which at that point was overwhelmingly owned by Nokia. And 
by other companies. And, and basically, Nokia Symbian, it was unique, but Symbian and everything that all these Chinese manufacturers doing was basically kind of a combination of something like Linux with something like Java on top of it running something like Flashlight. That's what all these phones were. Sony, Sony Ericsson, um, all the phones in the ecosystem were this stack of basically Linux with Java with Flash. And when Google came into the market, they bought a Linux with Java with Flash company and finessed it so they don't have to pay Sun for licensing Java and branded it Android. So it wasn't really new. It was just a kind of standardized version of all this junk that was already out there. Apple came out with something that was completely new. It was really the Mac core operating system with the Mac frameworks on top of it instead of Java. And there wasn't any Flash. They're using web standards instead. So Apple's product was really new and novel and earned its market share. They convinced people to buy something because it was better. So Android is acting like, I mean, a lot of Android fans are acting like Android came in after the iPhone and and is doing something new and then it's like the iPhone but open. When really what Android is is a continuation of what existed before with kind of this facade of iPhone on top of it, iPhone-like operating system features. So, I mean, from that perspective, Apple is doing something that's interesting and Android is kind of a continuation of what already existed. And all these companies, you know, they keep talking about how Android has like more than 50% market share and is bigger than the iPhone. Well, that's not a surprise because before the iPhone, everything was Android or basically Android technologies without Google's branding. I mean, it's not something that's new. It's always been there. That's what's always been the case. You've always had this kind of like Java-like platform on top of Linux running Flash. So it's, it's not shouldn't be a surprise that Android continues to maintain, you know, like a large part of the smartphone operating system market because they're not even charging for it. I mean, the fact that Apple now has a big chunk of this phone market, the majority of profits and owns the tablet market, that's something notable. The fact that Android has a lot of smartphone makers using it, not that notable. Is there a dark cloud over this? Is there a point where it's going to become more difficult for the Android makers? Can the patent thing be the thing that uh, hurts them? Think, for example, about the fact that some companies pay Microsoft a fee. I've heard $5 per phone to use certain patents which are part of Android. Now, if Apple having all these new patents comes and says, okay, now you pay us $5 too, when does it become more expensive to use Android than something else? The other thing is Microsoft has always made its money licensing software. So uh, it makes sense that Microsoft would go to, for example, HTC, which was a former Microsoft licensee. I mean, they still are, but they're, you know, they shifted their intention to Android and say, hey, we want money regardless of what you're making, even if you're making Android phones now because you're using technology that infringes on our stuff. So that, that sort of... Um, makes sense for Microsoft. Apple has never been a company that has licensed its technology to other companies in, in large measure. I mean, they have in some small respects, but a lot of these analysts are just assuming that Apple's going to do the same thing that Microsoft has 
So what and will Apple do? Apple owns the patents. Will they say, you can't build that product? Yes. I think Apple, I mean, it's certainly possible that Apple could ask for money. But Apple, unlike Microsoft, I mean, Microsoft is not going to make money licensing Windows Mobile or Windows Phone 7, whatever they're calling it now. There's just not a lot of opportunity for Microsoft to get back into that market. So, I mean, Microsoft has to take what it can get. So getting some money for licensing patents to Android makers is, you know, pretty much all Microsoft can do at this point. Apple is not in that position. It makes more sense for Apple to stop Android than it does for them to make some money off it on the side. So if you look at the case going on in Australia, Apple isn't asking Samsung to pay it licensing royalties as, you know, other companies, for example, Nokia, their, their complaint against Apple was we want them to pay licensing royalties. And then they finally worked out a deal where Apple did. Apple paid them licensing royalties for, I think it was mostly related to 3G and Wi-Fi type technologies. The, those are things that, that Nokia, I mean, those are kind of open standards that have some patent involvement in them. Whereas what Apple's suing people for, like HTC and other companies, is the use of IP of the iPhone. It's I'll tell you what, we'll get into iPhone. more of these details in a moment. We have... Daniel Aaron Dilger of Apple Insider and Roughly Drafted Magazine. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in the Tech Night Owl Live. This is Tamar from Namecheap. We're a domain name and web hosting company, and we really care about our customers. With domain name purchases, Namecheap offers free SSL and free WhoisGuard for a year to protect your identity from spammers. Most importantly, we care about you. If you'd like to learn more, please visit us at radio.namecheap.com, radio.namecheap.com for web hosting and domain name specials. You can also follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash Namecheap or become a fan of ours on Facebook at facebook.com slash Namecheap. See you online. Devin Fink is a reliable information organizer, smart document manager, productivity tool, and more all in one. Devin Agent is your smart research assistant, personalized search assistant, search engine, and web browser all in one for the real answers when you search. Order these apps today. Use the coupon code TNO11, that's TNO11, for 15% off, all there at devintechnologies.com. That's devintechnologies.com. Why is it so many people suffer from so many illnesses today? Why don't doctors know how to help you? Could it be that our doctors don't know how because there's a nutrition solution and they only know about drugs? Over 68 diseases are known to be connected to a deficiency of glutathione. The missing ingredient to increasing your body's production of glutathione is cysteine. Raising your glutathione production protects you from cancer, heart disease, Parkinson's, macular degeneration, lung disease, digestive diseases, diabetes, Alzheimer's, ALS, rheumatoid arthritis, and lupus. Nature's richest source of cysteine is unheated whey. Heating can damage much of the cysteine. One World Whey is the first undamaged whey protein powder on the market. Using One World Whey may support optimal glutathione production, unlike any other food or supplement you've ever taken. Call 888-988-3325. That's 888-988-3325. Or visit OneWorldWay.com. That's OneWorldWhey.com. The American people think they live in a constitutional republic. Land of the free, home of the brave... Right. Just try those lines on the judge when you get a ticket or have to deal with a big bad IRS. 
Instead, use escapeharassment.com. Since 1972, our volunteer group of researchers and educators have successfully taught how to escape tickets by law, and it works. Escape Harassment has three different steps to follow, depending on where you are in the ticket process. Learn how to escape tickets, IRS, or court proceedings before you go to court. For free, three-minute pre-recorded information and FAQs, call this toll-free number, one 877 9009. That's 877-457-9009. Or go to escapeharassment.com and see our money-back guarantee. That's escapeharassment.com. Remember, escape harassment works. Will I have garlic breath after I take Ali C? We get that question all the time about the world's best garlic extract, Ali C. And the answer is, Ali C contains stabilized allicin, nature's antimicrobial agent, and the active ingredient in crushed garlic, but will not give you garlic breath. Scientifically proven in double-blind studies, using low doses of allicin greatly reduces the number, severity, and duration of common colds. Our powerful Ali C contains 300 milligrams of stabilized allicin. Just one tablet of Ali C is equivalent to 40 garlic cloves. It's effective against asthma. MRSA, bacterial, fungal, and viral infections, and helps lower high blood pressure and high cholesterol. Plus, it's a natural mosquito repellent. Boosts resistance to infection with nature's best garlic extract, Ali C. For more information and to order Ali C, call 877-888-7126 or go to garlichealthproducts.com. That's 877-888-7126 or garlichealthproducts.com. Fight back with Ali C. Are you tired of searching for great talk radio? Something more important. Search no more. We are the GCN Radio Network. You're listening to the Tech Night Owl Live with Gene Steinberg. You never know what's going to happen next. We have... Daniel Aaron Dilger of Apple Insider and Roughly Drafted Magazine. I'm Gene Steinberger in the Tech Night Out Live. So the, the patents that Apple owns, or the patents that Apple is leveraging against Android makers, is not related to open technologies that Apple is trying to propagate. It's related to things that are unique to the iPhone that Apple doesn't want other, other people to use. They don't want people to clone the iPhone. And one of the, you know, one of the obvious companies is Samsung, because Samsung is making stuff that's virtually identical to the iPhone and the iPad. Their packaging is exactly the same. They're presenting it. So the complaint, if you look at the, the case going on in Australia, the complaint Apple's making against Samsung is that Samsung is trying to sell a device that's representing it to be the same as the I, iPad. There's kind of a suggestion that it's the same parts. It's kind of like when you go to a generic, go to the grocery store and get some generic cereal and it's like, this is basically, you know, name brand cereal in a different box. So Sometimes it's not Kellogg's cornflakes, it's yeah. XX Walmart cornflakes. Yeah, and sometimes they put in, in small letters, that, like, this is not made by the company that makes cornflakes, whatever. Also, they have a but, new trick now saying similar to. Yeah, so it's fine to make a, a similar product. But when you suggest that you're repackaging someone else's product, so that's what Apple's complaint is. They're kind of like saying... You're suggesting this is our our product. You're suggesting that you're basically repackaging the same stuff. You're you're using the it's just so close that it's that's what they're complaining about. And in Australia, they've right now they've have an injunction against selling them. But 
in the complaint, the, I mean the the part the article that I read about it, it was indicating that Apple wants <laughs> the entire <laughs> the entire batch of um, tablets that Sony, that Samsung has made to be delivered to Apple and be destroyed. <laughs> it's just kind of funny to read about these fights, but they're not asking for money. They're asking to like get it off the market. It's like make a product that's original, but these ones that are just super clones of the iPad, they just need to be destroyed. <laughs> so, so when you read these reports of analysts that are saying, I think Apple's going to come in and take a, a share similar to Microsoft, I don't, I don't think that's what Apple's wanting to do. I think Apple's wanting to get these products off the market so it can continue to sell iPads and make lots of money on them as opposed to making like this $5 bounty on you know every Android tablet that gets sold. They want to get them off the market, but... You wonder, will the courts do that, or will the courts say, well, that could be an antitrust issue, just take money? Well, no, it's not an antitrust issue, because you can't, If I mean, that's the whole point of patents. It's kind of interesting, Google, Google, which doesn't have the same patent portfolio as a lot of companies, starts making these, you know, righteous-sounding comments like, oh, patents are a government monopoly for, yeah, that's exactly what they are, Google. (laughs) You know, look at a dictionary entry, a patent is like a a limited term monopoly to use a certain idea. And you can talk about whether patents are a good idea, especially in terms of software where you can patent a concept. But a lot of what Apple's patenting are not just like generic concepts of, if you look at the patents that Apple's battling, the the external patents, the patent trolls that come to Apple and say, oh, well, we have a patent on the idea of playing music on a box that's mobile. So, So, you know, pay us this for the iPod. That kind of patent stuff is obviously ridiculous. But when you... When you develop, when you put a lot of work into developing something, like if you look at iOS, there's a lot of work in not just the the core operating system, but also in the way it works and the way it looks and the way it operates and, and how it works as a product. And you see companies like Samsung, and they're just making an exact clone. I mean, it's just everything about it, down to the details, the, the finish, the everything about it. It's, you know, it's just as duplicated as the way Microsoft has been copying the Apple stores. To the point where it's just egregious. That's something that I think patents are do have some value in, in saying. You know, it's like, hey, if you develop a product, somebody shouldn't be able to just come out and clone it. Especially the companies that are making your product for you. I mean, Samsung provides a lot of. I mean, they build a lot of the components that Apple's buying. So for them to come out and just copy Apple just to this egregious degree, instead of making a product that's you know similar. And different in other respects, you know, it's original. That at least has some merit. Well, you also have to wonder here, don't any of these companies have talented design engineers who could say, let's take a look at the iPad, see what it does wrong, and we'll make the product that does it right. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of... I don't mean just adding an SD card slot. That's not doing anything. Well, I mean, that's an example of doing something different than Apple has. And there's a lot of ways you could do things different, but it's a lot of work. If you look at Apple, Apple has spent a lot of money into, I mean, if you look at how much money they spent developing the Macintosh, they spent, at the time, it was like a huge amount of money doing something that no other company bothered to do. Microsoft largely ripped off the Macintosh and then gave it to everybody else at a fee with Windows. That's kind of what Google thinks they're going to do. They're going to just kind of rip everything off and then provide it to everyone else so they can make money on services without having any sort of necessary relationship with apple so by kind of by definition android is going to be a a knockoff operating system because it's not designed to be 
something original. It's designed to be like Apple, but just different enough to not a very, very Windows like, you know, just make some arbitrary changes. So the tabs, instead of being on the bottom, are on the top. You know, it's just like that's not our original design concept. That's just you just changed a couple things arbitrarily. It's a lot of work to do what Apple's done. And most companies don't want to do that much work. They want to just make money as easily as possible. So you don't have a lot of apples in the world. In in every industry, there's not a whole lot of companies willing to put an awful lot of work into making something that works and, uh, so well that it grabs the world's attention. I mean, the reason the iPhone made such a huge media blast on the iPad after it was because there were very well-thought-out, well-designed products that when you saw them, it's amazing. It's like, wow, this is a huge jump. So, I mean... Most companies just want to copy what Apple's done. They don't want to create something original unto itself. And so Apple's, you know, in the position of how do we battle that? Do we just let it happen and get run over again? Have somebody take away basically everything we've created like that happened with the Macintosh? Or do we fight it? And right now, Apple is benefiting from the fact that in mobile devices, it's harder to make a knockoff device that fools the majority of the population. So with the, with you know with the Mac, Apple never had more than ten percent market share of the whole PC industry, and a lot of things are different too. But you see, that's one of the things people was, don't remember. They think at one time Apple had everything and lost it to Microsoft because they wouldn't license the OS. Yeah, well, graphical computers were always a very small slice of the of the market up until Microsoft started you know promoting with Windows ninety five like ten years after the Macintosh. You know, it's, it starts. That was kind of a combination of Apple um, failing to do much to keep macOS moving in the 90s and Microsoft kind of taking over. So here you have a totally different situation where Apple is pushing iOS as, as fast as it can. It's only four years old. It's making rapid changes. It's becoming a, a sophisticated product on a, on a very rapid pace. It's difficult to keep up with. And if you look at companies like HP, I mean, HP is having a very hard time just getting the product out the door. Microsoft, same same thing. Android, which is supposed to be so big and everywhere, and is just the same age as the iOS, its tablet product is a year older, and it's very immature. I mean, it doesn't have it has a lot of features that aren't even finished yet. And so Apple has this kind of home field advantage of being able to keep. As long as it keeps moving, no one's ever going to be able to catch up. In addition, there's not a lot of other competitors that are working really hard to develop something that's really competitive as opposed to just kind of do <laughs> copying. So, I mean, Apple has a position that's going to be very difficult to compete against for anybody. So you haven't been doing much with Roughly Drafted. What's the reason? Well, um, I have a few things. You know, it's a WordPress site. I'm trying to find tools to make it easier to write when I have the time because a lot of times I don't have the time to just sit down and write and there's a lot of doodling involved in trying to make it publish correctly so I'm trying to figure out exactly how to set up a site where I can where it's easier to publish stuff I've been looking at Tumblr have you ever used Tumblr? This is a content management or blogging system? Well it's kind of a service yeah. Okay. So it's supposed to make it easier to publish media and publish Stuff. It's kind of more like a hosted thing as opposed to WordPress is kind of like a system to publish it yourself. More or less. So I'm trying to, trying to figure out how to. 
because right now when I publish stuff, I've just I started publishing some stories just to keep content on my site, stuff that I'm writing for Apple Insider, and it just looks terrible, and it's difficult to embed media correctly, and yeah, it just requires a lot of futzing around, and so I'm you don't have a lot time, of time to be the futzing person. By yeah. the way, folks, if you have a comment or a question or a suggestion to Daniel about the best publishing platform or the way to set things up, write us news at technightowl.com. That's news at technightowl.com. More with Daniel Aaron Dilger of Roughly Drafted Magazine and appleinsider.com on the other side of the Tech Night Owl Live. Hi, this is Ted Anderson. If you own an Apple iPhone and love to listen to your favorite programs on GCN, I've got good news for you. I'm proud to announce that GCN has a brand new iPhone app available for our dedicated listeners at GCNlive.com. Listen to your favorite hard-hitting GCN programs live or on demand right on your iPhone. And the best part? The GCN iPhone app can be yours absolutely free. Download the iPhone app today by clicking on the banner at GCNlive.com. Again, that's GCNlive.com. Hi, this is Ted Anderson. Have you ever wondered why banks, stockbrokers, investment advisors won't talk about gold IRAs? They've been available since 1986, yet the financial industry won't recognize the value of gold for your retirement. Gold has outperformed paper investments, yet no word about IRAs. If you would like to have gold for your retirement, call 800-686-2237. Don't get left behind by rising inflation and low returns. Call 800-686-2237. Secure your future and call 1-800-686-2237. Welcome back to the Tech Night All Live, where you never know what's going to happen next. And now, here's Gene Steinberg. We have Daniel Aaron Dilger of Roughly Drafted Magazine and AppleInsider.com exploring the ins and outs of Apple and the iOS and all the stuff that's going on, all the things that are happening. Of course, we have this peculiar situation here where Apple had more money in its bank account than the U.S. government. Apple has what seventy six billion. What are they going to do with it? Well, I thought that was so funny. I had originally wrote up the story because it was—I think it was Moody's that, that did this accounting, and they were looking at the companies that have that are holding the most assets, the most cash. And you know, Apple was first, and Cisco and Microsoft. I think Microsoft is second, and Cisco is third. They're kind of in the area of forty billion. So Apple has a remarkable amount of cash. It's not only in the United States. A lot of it is in foreign markets, and they can't repatriate it without paying a lot of taxes, so they're not going to. There's that whole situation. But this comparison with the amount of cash that the United States has is kind of ridiculous because the United States is not a corporation. I mean, it's somewhat newsworthy to compare Apple against other tech companies in terms of like how much cash they have and how much they can potentially do like with acquisitions or whatever. But to compare Apple against the United States is just absurd because, you know, the United States defines what the dollar is. So the United States can, like, make money out of thin air. And, yeah, that was just, like, the silliest thing. But, yeah, I got a lot of got a lot of traction that Apple had more cash than the U.S. And it's like, that doesn't even make sense. <laughs> there, was one, there was one article talking about how Apple could bail out the United States <laughs> It's like, oh my, that's so ridiculous that Apple could like give a loan to the United States to get it out of debt or something. And it's just like, sure, here's a few billion. What's a few billion among friends? (laughs) Seventy billion. What's the debt now? Like trillions of dollars. I mean, all all. If the United States was really like 
having to negotiate with Apple. All they'd have to do is just like redefine the dollar to be another amount and Apple's money would be worthless. I mean, it's not like Apple versus the United States. It's just such an absurd, it's just, I think it's fascinating to see a bunch of, you know, reasonably intelligent people getting suckered into like just a stupid article like that. It's just this, this comparison between two things that does not make a lick of sense. I'll tell and then, you what, what makes sense though for <laughs> Apple in terms of investing that money? I mean, right now we assume it's earning interest and all that. As you say, some of it is offshore, so there would be tax complications. On the other hand, if they use that money to invest in something, the tax complications, it becomes another normal business expense, right? Right. And if you look at things Apple could invest in, there may be some potential. I mean, there's a lot of like small companies. A lot of times, a lot of companies like Apple and Google and Microsoft are trying to buy small companies that primarily are for the talent because you have a small company, you have, you have somebody smart running a startup and they like attract all this, you know, smart, ambitious talent. Sometimes it makes sense to buy those companies primarily whether or not they have a product or not primarily to just get their, that talent because it's complex and difficult to hire people especially like a team of people that can work together. So that's one thing that Apple could do. And Apple is sort of doing that in, in a couple areas with, you know, for example, Lala and, and different groups that Apple's bought in the past. Apple is not buying a lot of big companies because it's really difficult and tricky to take a company, buy another company and put them together in, in a way that's functional. If you look at Compaq and HP, that was kind of a mess. If you look at things that Apple's supposed to be buying, people talk about Apple buying Sony or something. That's just ridiculous. What I mean, about buying a company like Hulu? Well, again, I mean, that might be a situation they may have some talent, but as far as buying a company or something like Spotify, the problem is a lot of a lot of the value of those companies comes from contracts that they have that if somebody else bought them are no longer valid. So basically, so, Hulu has the contracts with the networks. Apple would have to renegotiate those contracts or buy the company as a condition, but then can't they just do it themselves cheaply? Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of situations where... Um, a lot of acquiring companies just doesn't make sense. There's something that Apple can do. If you look at the companies in, in the NASDAQ, as far as like, what would be a good company to invest in? Well, at the top of the list is Apple, <laughs> which just went from like 320 to $400 a share in the last two months. What could Apple invest in at Apple? Hmm, how about retail stores? Apple has 300 retail stores, and they're building some of these stores 600 feet apart. <laughs> like the Glendale store in L.A. now has a, a store around the corner in the other mall. And, you know, the, the store in Palo Alto has this shopping center that's 1,300 feet away or something has another store. There are so many places where Apple can put an Apple store, and those Apple stores make so much money, it's ridiculous. And when you build an Apple store, you create this demand because people start going to the Apple store, and then you have more people that need Apple stores, so they build another Apple store in the next town. If you look at the Bay Area, there's like an Apple store every five <laughs> Five. It's kind of ridiculous. There's like getting to be an Apple store every five to ten miles on the interstate. Soon it'll be like Walmart. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, there's not that many Apple stores. And they're kind of all centered in, in just a few areas where Apple's been building them out. Apple cannot build them fast enough. And that's just in the U.S. And in, in other countries, there's like a few Apple stores per country. There's a lot of places where you could build Apple stores. And Apple just cannot build these things fast enough. And they're making huge amounts of money. So if you're talking about, hmm, what can Apple do with this cash? It's like, how about build fancy Apple stores everywhere. And so that's what they're doing. After yeah. a while, though, 
can't you build too many stores? Oh, at some point. But if you look at where stores are and how many, what, what the potential is for stores, they have a huge potential for building a lot more stores. I mean, you know, at some point they're going to have, you know, enough stores, but that is so far out. So right now they can have 600 stores, no problem. Oh, easily. Yeah. I mean, if you look at, and you know, they couldn't build them all this year because that would be difficult to do. And, you know, it has to be something you have to organically build as, as demand kind of increases. But if you look at Apple's share, you know, Apple has this kind of 10% share of all PCs and they have, um, what is their share of all phones? Something like, I don't know, it's like 10% of all phones, not just smartphones. Maybe not even that. Um, and then the tablet market, they have a huge percentage of the tablet market, but the tablet market is quite small still, and it's kind of exploding. If you fold that into PCs, Apple has a bigger share of PCs, but it's still they still have a huge potential market share to reach. So with Apple building retail stores, they're reaching more customers, and they're they're kind of they're building anchors. You know, they're they're kind of building foundational anchors all over the world, kind of creating and and keeping this going so yeah if all the things apple could invest in building more stores is right at the top and of course they have that fancy headquarters to build too i don't think it'll cost 70 billion dollars but they can sure they sure have a lot of billions to throw around Hmm. so they can throw a few billion here and there to do different sorts of expansions and not worry about it some people say give a dividend to stockholders do something well, dividend stockholders is what you do when you have too much money and giving it to the shareholders is the most viable thing you can do. As, you know, as a shareholder, I would rather have my stock go up dramatically than get some little dividend payment. But if you had if you had a, a mature stock that wasn't moving anywhere, you know, like Microsoft, Microsoft stock hasn't moved anywhere in the last decade. So, yeah, you want a dividend. You want them to pay some of their cash back to you. Maybe they can buy their own stock and make your shares worth a little bit more. But for Apple, there, there's a lot of things that Apple can do. I mean, Apple just has so much potential. When you have that much potential, there's far more viable things you can do than just give your cash to your shareholders or you know, buy back your shares so that their shares are worth a little bit more. Because all Apple has to do is just keep selling more stuff, keep developing more products, keep expanding its retail stores, and um, they have the potential to grow far faster than um, than playing play, money games. Create more value for their shareholders than if they're just giving them a little bit of cash. In other words, not playing money games, but actually producing something. Where do we yeah. find more of the stuff that Daniel Aaron Dilger does? I write for RefleyDrafted.com and AppleInsider.com. And the latter's where you'll see more stuff until he gets his content management woes over at RefleyDrafted.com. Daniel Aaron Dilger, thanks for joining us on the Tech Night Out Live. Yeah, thanks for having me, Gene. Hi. 
This is Tamar from Namecheap. We're a domain name and web hosting company, and we really care about our customers. With domain name purchases, Namecheap offers free SSL and free WhoisGuard for a year to protect your identity from spammers. Most importantly, we care about you. If you'd like to learn more, please visit us at radio.namecheap.com, radio.namecheap.com for web hosting and domain name specials. You can also follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash Namecheap or become a fan of ours on Facebook at facebook.com slash Namecheap. See you online. Devin Fink is a reliable information organizer, smart document manager, productivity tool, and more all in one. Devin Agent is your smart research assistant, personalized search assistant, search engine, and web browser all in one for the real answers when you search. Order these apps today. Use the coupon code TNO11, that's TNO11, for 15% off all there at devontechnologies.com. That's devontechnologies.com. Are you wondering about your retirement portfolio? Are you confident that the financial advisor is experienced enough to combat climbing interest rates, taxes, and inflation? Stop guessing and go to the expert, Robert Chapman of the International Forecaster. When you subscribe to the International Forecaster, you get Robert Chapman's 45 years of experience and concise investment recommendations. Who needs sugar-coated excuses when you can get the cold hard facts and proven investment leads you can't get anywhere else? For a free introductory copy to Robert Chapman's International Forecaster, subscribe now at theinternationalforecaster.com or call 877-479-8178. Experience the difference. When you subscribe, you can email Robert Chapman directly to obtain investment advice tailored just for you. Don't wait another minute. Subscribe today at theinternationalforecaster.com or call 877-479-8178. That's 877-479-8178. Question. Can functional magnetic resonance imaging be used to read our minds? Author Jose Calazo answers yes in his two new books, America's New Slavery. For more than 13 years, author Jose Calazo has been trying to prove that the U.S. government has the capacity to read a person's thoughts with a revolutionary technology known as fMRI, functional magnetic resonance imaging, and there is proof that it exists. America's New Slavery explores this technology and its many possible applications in national security. Who has access to it? How is it being used? Does America's salvation rest in this technology? These and many other questions are answered in America's New Slavery. The new books by Jose Calazo. Available on BN.com, Amazon.com, and Borders.com. America's New Slavery. All Americans should be concerned. You know that drinking pure, high-alkaline water is one of the most important factors in maintaining high energy and vibrant health. And most experts agree that the water you drink should be at a pH level of 8 or higher. AlkaVision Plasma pH Drops, available only at AlkaVision.com, combine a unique formula of most alkaline minerals available. AlkaVision Plasma pH Drops alkalize your water, reading the body of harmful toxins and acid, helping you to regain your energy and health. Alkalizing your water by simply adding 10 drops of AlkaVision Plasma pH Drops helps the body to rid itself of acidic waste increases oxygen, and raises the pH of your body to optimal levels. And bacteria and viruses cannot survive in an alkaline high pH environment. Order your bottle of AlkaVision Plasma pH Drops for only $29.95 at AlkaVision.com. That's A-L-K-A-Vision.com. Or call 269-409-1776. 269-409-1776. Alkalize your body. Supercharge your health at AlkaVision.com. 
The GCN Radio Network, providing the world with hard-hitting talk radio. GCN. Great talk radio starts here. We want to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the Tech Night Owl Live, just send it to news at technightowl.com. That's news at technightowl.com. And if you want to catch up on past episodes, we have hundreds of shows for you to download direct from technightall.com slash radio. That's technightall.com slash radio. Or check us out at iTunes. Paul Wagonseal is connected with a publication called Security News Daily, and security is front and center in the minds of Mac, PC users, mobile phone users, anybody who goes online. And we wanted to focus on the relative security of these platforms. Now, over the years, of course, Windows got quite a rap, Paul, for being pretty insecure. But Windows 7 is pretty decent, isn't it? Yes, it is. I uh, would have no hesitation uh, to recommend it to anyone who, who wants to use Windows. I, I think it's probably the best operating system they've ever, they've ever had. It's what Vista should have been. Um, and I think most people, most people would agree with me on that. Well, what has Microsoft done to clean things up, as they say? Well, technically, I'm not really sure. Um, I know that a lot of the operating system manufacturers are moving to what they call um, sort of memory uh, address randomization. There's an acronym for it. I can't remember. I think it's ASR or something, address space randomization. What it really does is when an application loads in the memory, it used to be that you could predict where it would be sort of uh, in the order in which it was sort of loaded into memory. Uh, A hacker or someone else could figure out exactly where it was. uh, What they do now is... uh, and I know Apple does this, and I'm pretty sure Apple, Microsoft does as well, is they basically randomize it so it's different every time where in the memory the application is. So it's more difficult for a, um, for a hacker to try to access it. However, Black Hat, the security conference in um, Las Vegas, some researchers demonstrated a new way to sort of get, at, get past that sort of obstacle, and they did what they call JIT spraying or just-in-time spraying. They basically flood the memory with some sort of malicious code, which enables you to actually modify an application when it's still running. And they demonstrated this to sort of great effect to a rather amazed audience. Um, so even if you don't know where the application is loading in memory, if you just flood everything, all the water, as they say, fills the room. Yeah, I'm not exactly sure the technical, how they did it, but whatever it was, it got right past ASR. ASR was a big sort of a step forward in, in security uh, for operating systems. Oh, boy. So, therefore, the technique that Apple is using may already be compromised. What about sandboxing? Is that something that Microsoft does or just Apple? I am not sure if Microsoft uses uh, sandboxing in Windows 7. I'm not familiar with that. They very well may do that. I know Apple does it in iOS for the iPad and and iPhone, and I believe they do it um, in uh, Mac OS Lion as well, which is getting really serious high marks or high praise from security researchers. One of the things that Apple did reportedly here was to allow security researchers access to the seeds, the pre-release versions, so they could see what's going on and perhaps make recommendations. Uh, I'm surprised they wouldn't have done that that earlier with earlier versions of the software. Of course, Apple is Apple, you know. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, they must have had to sign pretty serious NDAs or non-disclosure agreements to to people who aren't familiar with the terminology. Um, You know, it's funny about lying this time, though. In the past, of course, Apple was very careful about information, but it seems with Lion, everybody and anyone who had access to the developer beta was reporting what was going on, and I don't hear Apple making great efforts to say, take that down. 
The same is mm. true with the next iOS, iOS 5, where as soon as a beta comes out in 10 seconds, you have a full story at AppleInsider.com or at Mac Rumors and a lot of mainstream sites. Right. Well, you will get that with any any, any big release. I mean, you, you get that with, with Microsoft, of course, as well. Um, but Microsoft pretty- tends to be more liberal about yeah. these things. You know, Apple is very secretive, but lately they haven't been quite as secretive. Yeah, maybe not. Maybe maybe uh, Tim Cook's changing things there or something. Um, <laughs> who knows? I mean, they, they, they've always been about the big reveal, the big surprise, even when everyone knows what it's got to be. Okay, so we're looking here at sandboxing. Now, my understanding mm-hmm. is this is something where you basically wall off the wall guard. You wall off that application from other applications, so if it gets compromised, it doesn't take down the whole system. That's exactly exactly what it is. It, it severely limits the uh, the ability of, of uh, applications to influence one another or the system itself. Um, in retrospect, it, it's not clear why this wasn't done a long time ago, but it it really helps a lot with uh, with iOS and and um, with other operating systems as well. Um, Google does it for Android. Um, it sandboxes things as well, although Android has a lot of security problems for other reasons. Uh, but continuing with this here now, obviously. Not all applications are sandboxed at this point. So Apple, I guess, will have to enforce or urge developers to get with the program. Oh, you mean in Lion? Yes. I mean, it's capable there, but not all applications are Lion savvy yet. You know, obviously, yeah, it's going to take a while. Not. Especially, you know, like the stragglers, you know, like a Microsoft or Adobe, because they have so much of their own custom code, it takes them much longer to get things in line. And they're also the big dogs. They can, they can take their time because, you know, no one's going to give up using Photoshop. <laughs> That's right. And Photoshop, the latest version, runs pretty well online, I'll have to tell you. Microsoft with Microsoft Office 2011 for the Mac. A few problems, but there come the motorcycles here to pick us up and take us away. So <laughs> that's it for the show, folks. But seriously speaking, the situation here is that Microsoft's Office actually runs pretty well under Lion. There's some bugs, but nothing serious. But the point being here, with sandboxing, can someone break through with that just as they can with the dress space randomization? I think there are already there are already ways to get past it. I don't know the technical details, but I know people have broken out of sandboxing in Android. Um, uh. And... Uh, yeah. <laughs> well, I know. I mean, but, you know, that's one of the, one of the big security... Um, sort of precautions built into Android. Uh, of course, they're, they pretty much left the back door open in other ways, but, but they did sort of build a, as you could, if I can continue the analogy, they built a solid house. Uh, they just gave other people the keys. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, sandboxing is, is, is again, yeah, a good thing. That, that should have been done a long time ago, but, but it's, not, you know, it's not a magic bullet, and neither is ASR. Is it hard for developers to implement these two features? You know, I don't know. I really don't know. Um, I, I can imagine that it might be for someone like Adobe who uh, t- um, tries to make all its various, you know, half dozen major applications work well together. Um, however, um, I don't know why that doesn't stop someone from just opening a file in a different, you know, in a different application. Um, I, you know, if you've been following the way that that uh, Adobe's creative suite has been developing over the past decade or so, they've really, really tried to integrate, you know, Illustrator and Photoshop and all the stuff they bought from Macromedia in 2005. So much so that there's like an even sort of like, I don't know what, I don't know how I could characterize this, but there's some kind of like basically busboy application that, you know, travels around between the different Adobe applications, picking stuff up. 
from one to the other. Um, and I so don't know how a lot of sharing, and that could be a double-edged sword. Yeah, exactly. I'm not sure how that's going to function in Lion, uh, or whether maybe they can just create a whole different Adobe area. But then again, you've got a problem with Reader uh, and Acrobat, which have their own security problems. Well, of course, on the Mac platform, we have an application called Preview, and it's for viewing PDF applications, graphics, etc., but it's Apple's application, conforms to Apple's own conventions. Mm-hmm. And yes, it's not going to have all the power of an Acrobat professional, but kind of gets the job done in certain ways. Of course, the entire question of security covers the Mac, Windows, obviously the iOS and Android, and even Microsoft's new mobile operating system. But we've got lots more where that came from. Paul Wagon Seals, our guest, and he runs something called Security News Daily. We'll ask what that is and lots more on the Tech Night Out Live. Graphic Converter is the image manipulation tool for the rest of us. It does not use any database. You get full control of all your files. Want to view the images of a folder? Drag it into Graphic Converter, and a powerful browser opens up to show your image files. You could use it for slideshows. You could use it to import images from digital cameras or from scanners. Need to do some image editing? You can do that, too, in Graphic Converter. Also, print catalogs convert from so many formats i can't even list them download now to see if graphic converter is good for you like one and a half million other users guess what you could save money when you buy graphic converter use the coupon code night owl use the coupon code night owl to get a special price for graphic converter go to lemkesoft.com that's l-e-m-k-e soft.com lemkesoft.com l-e-m-k-e soft.com For centuries, silver has been used as a powerful natural antibiotic. And as a listener to this station, you probably already know the benefits of using colloidal silver. With so many websites to choose from, finding a reputable patriotic company with great products at affordable prices can be a difficult task. Introducing UtopiaSilver.com. UtopiaSilver.com carries the best, most effective, and most affordable colloidal silver and colloidal gold products in the industry. UtopiaSilver.com also carries products to your lifestyle, including weight loss, immune system defense, cleanses, herbs, joint and bone care, and much more. First-time customers using promo code GCN50 will receive 50% off all colloidal products. Visit us today at Utopia Silver. That's U-T-O-P-I-A Silver. UtopiaSilver.com or call 888-213-4338. That's 888-213-4338. UtopiaSilver.com. Taking back America's health care one American at a time. OpticsPlanet.com is where discerning gun owners and outdoorsmen go to gear up. Optics Planet has the best selection of rifle scopes, red dots, night vision, holsters, bags, and tactical gear on the planet. With always low prices, free shipping on most orders, and expert customer service. Go to OpticsPlanet.com slash GCN to get a free gift with purchase. That's OpticsPlanet.com slash GCN. Or call 800-332-OPTICS. 800-332-6784. Hi, this is Ted Anderson. Have you ever wondered why banks, stockbrokers, investment advisors won't talk about gold IRAs? They've been available since 1986, yet the financial industry won't recognize the value of gold for your retirement. Gold is 
outperformed paper investments, yet no word about IRAs. If you would like to have gold for your retirement, call 800-686-2237. Don't get left behind by rising inflation and low returns. Call 800-686-2237. Secure your future and call 1-800-686-2237. Energy, energy, and more energy. We all need it. Get the energy you need quick through the powers of wild forest extract. Wild Chagan birch bark are the secrets of the forest used exclusively by Russian athletes. Wild Chaga is the world's top source of superoxide dismutase, the critical enzyme that blocks the aging process. Chaga is good for your heart and even helps support healthy arteries. Wild birch extract is the top source of betulin, a natural sterile needed by every cell of the body. And healthy cells mean a healthy body and a more powerful you. No wonder it's known as a king of all herbs. Experience real energy and power like you've never dreamed possible. Take Chago Charge Tea with Wild Birch Bark every day and Chaga Max capsules to get the energy you need. You deserve it. Order today by calling 877-817-9829. 877-817-9829. That's 877-817-9829. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. These products are not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. America's number one source for independent talk radio for over a decade. We are the GCN Radio Network. What are you listening to? The Tech Night Isle Live with Gene Steinberg. What's going to happen next? You never know. Paul Wagonseal of Security News Daily joining us. Paul, what is security news daily all about it's about computer security or digital security we also touch a little bit on physical security for example you know getting a home alarm system or a car alarm system but again those things are getting more and more digital because we've got wireless cheap home alarm systems you can install yourself and you've got cars that are so computerized that you can literally hack them well that's an interesting point here most cars these days come with some kind of immobilization feature so if you try to steal the radio Supposedly, it won't work. That's right. Okay, if you try to hack the key, the car won't start. But are these things easy to break? You know, we have all these hands-free systems in cars. You have the remote door openers and all that stuff. Can you actually break through those things? Sure, you probably could. Um, there are ways to do it, especially with a, when you see someone with a, a, remote, a remote door opener, you know, a key fob. You can actually hijack that signal. There was a, um, there was a proof of concept done uh, several months ago where uh, it was kind of a two-man job, and what they would do was they'd follow someone into a store, someone who like just locked up his car, and they would have one guy standing near the guy near the person, and they would somehow read the signal off the guy's key fob, and they that guy would transmit it using a different device to another guy standing near the car. And by basically grabbing the signal, amplifying it, and transmitting it, you know, across the parking lot, much further than the key fob normally would go, they were they were able to unlock a car. Now, that, of again, course, that, a- that requires a lot of attention to detail. I guess you want to find the driver who has the Lamborghini or something, or the high-end Porsche or Jaguar, wouldn't you? You just follow the guy in the store. Sure. But, I mean, if you're going to spend that much time on one car, you want something that yields some kind of value. Well, you could probably make a uh, – I'm sh- all you have to do is amplify the signal, and that itself wasn't that difficult. Uh-huh. Um, I don't know exactly how they did it, but it, it didn't take a lot of complexity or a lot of expense. 
So should I keep my car in the garage and just walk? <laughs> Depends I, what kind I don't of know. Car At this is. point, I'm kind of wondering. Well, the really, uh, you know, that that's just one thing. Getting into a car. Uh, a lot of cars these days have um, something similar to the uh, GM's OnStar system, where it's actually a cellular-based service that reports back to some kind of central office, um, which uh, tracks the car, keeps up on its diagnostics. Um, it'll let you. It'll unlock the doors if you're locked out. It'll even shut, start the car if you've lost your key or shut it down if it's stolen. Now the problem with that is that's actually fairly easy to hack. Um, someone is actually uh, presenting that I think uh, a black hat. Um, the guy was able to basically tap into the cellular signals and start unlock and remotely start cars using these. Um, these cellular-based sort of, I don't know, what do you call them, car networks. Like that's OnStar. an interesting point you just raised here. OnStar has these commercials, and maybe we're going to lose a potential advertiser here. I don't know. OnStar well, has these OnStar. commercials, and yeah. you always have the situation, Hi, I'm John Smith. I was just locked out of my car. Would you open it for me, please? Exactly. How do I know it's John Smith? Good point. That's exactly, you know, they maybe they have a cell phone signal or something that, they put that, yeah, you've got. How do they point. verify I don't know how, I don't your know how identity verify. before they compromise the security of your car? Very good, very good point. I don't know, and believe me, and this is not. You know, I don't want to single out OnStar. It's just that that's the one that's that's most familiar to to most people. BMW has one. Um, I think uh, BMW Lexus Assist and, also. Hyundai yeah, is yeah. going to be starting this year with the 2012 models, a similar mm-hmm. service. I don't know about the other companies, but a lot of them have what they call roadside assistance services, but you have to right. call on a traditional cell phone or something. Right, like AAA. Sure. And usually it's in contract with a company like that. So Volkswagen has it, Honda has it, a few other companies have it. Mm-hmm. And it's always the same thing. You call a certain number. And I don't know the power they have with that number to tell you what to do. But I think in general, the question would be here, all right, you know, the old days, of course, we had the people who wanted to steal your car. They would go in there, and they take two wires, and they join them, and the car starts. You right. see this in the movies. Nowadays, with all the electronics, the key fobs, all the automated systems, easier, harder, are all cars in danger or what? All cars are in danger eventually. There isn't a system that cannot be hacked. Um, that's just a fact. I don't know if you remember, maybe 15 or 20 years ago, um, some American cars, especially minivans, had a uh, keypad on the door. You would have like a series of five numbers, maybe, and then you could press up or down, you know, select, say, like one or six or whatever. So you would have basically a code to unlock the car. And apparently it was pretty easy to, to hack that, not just by watching what somebody pressed, but there was actually a way to tap into like the radio signals or something like that. I know that Ford still have that remote kind of combination lock kind of system. So is that mm-hmm. easy to break? I think anything is if, you, if you're just patient enough and persistent enough. So are we safe anywhere? Should we just hide? You no, know, we shouldn't I said hide. hide the car. Let's just hide in the house. No, somebody's going to break through. It's a matter of being prudent. I mean, you know, it's, you're, you're never going to be absolutely safe anywhere. But it's a matter of being prudent. I mean, even when you're dealing with computers, if, you, if you're running a PC... There are some very simple steps you can take to make sh- to gr- drastically lessen your your chances of being hacked or or losing data or whatever. Number one is to spend most of your PC time running as a limited user account. 
you want to have an administrator account to install software, but you only want to use it to install software. And as soon as you're done installing software, log out of that, log into a regular account that does not have administrative power over the computer, and stay with that. Surf the Internet with that. Now, on the Mac, of course, the way it works is you have administrator access, but you have to give a password to get super user status to install well, software. As a matter of fact, they, they do have limited and, and administrator accounts on a Mac as well. Sure, you can, um, sure. You know, the, the, main, the main person who sets it up, usually it's administrator rights, but he can always knock himself down to limited user and keep the administrator a, a, a separate. Um, as for the super user, yeah, that's, that's another thing. Um, most it's people, somebody who puts on the uniform, folks, with the big S, yeah. you know, and says, up, up, and away. No, forget it. Well, I think, uh, you know, obviously most, most Mac users will never use a super, super user. Um, no, what I, they usually do here is they just set up a normal account. They mm-hmm. remember to enter their password when asked. Of course, the security problem there is, you know, think twice before you type that password because you have to know what you're agreeing to do. That's right. When uh, that's how the Mac Defender Trojan went around sure. uh, a couple of months ago, it, it pretended to be a, an antivirus application, and it prompted the you know Mac administrator, the, the regular user, to, to to log in with their password and allow it to install. That's just social engineering, and, and very effective social engineering is at, at, at that. At that particular point in time, it doesn't matter how strong your protection is, except that Apple did add strings or detection strings, kind of like a very low-level virus detection capability to block it, although it's kind of cat and mouse every time That's people right. who are responsible for Mac Defender would update it, Apple would update. I don't know where that's gone now. I haven't heard much about it. Mac Th- Defender's died down. Uh, sure. Either it's gone dormant, it doesn't seem to be attacking people much anymore. Maybe, they, you know, maybe they're, they've backed off for now, maybe they're working on something, maybe they're planning something new, but right now, as of you know, early August 2011, uh, Mac Defender is not really a big problem, you know, as long as you've patched your uh, system with the latest update. And, of course, Lion will have that particular update. The late versions of Mac OS 10.6 will also have it, so it's not a serious issue. One thing I'd like to get on with in discussing with you on future episodes, Paul, is, of course, more into the malware issues that might impact the Google OS, what issues with Android, also potential issues with the iOS. And there's an interesting article I noticed on your site here, how easily can a power plant be hacked? Pretty yes. wild stuff. And we don't even have time to discuss that today. <laughs> but unless you want to do another 10 minutes. You want to do another 10 minutes? I can do another 10 minutes. All yeah. right, let's just do another 10 minutes. So one of the things, of course, there's a lot of coverage here I'm noticing on the Security News Daily site. And one of it is about hacking a power plant. Now, you know, you worry about... All sorts of dangers. What if they can just turn off your power and cause all sorts of grief? Imagine if you lose your power in Arizona with 110 in the shade. Paul Wagonseal joining us. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in the Tech Night Out Live. Ray Perkins, a reclusive veteran burned out from the Gulf War, lives tortured by relentless, perplexing nightmares. Nightmares of a horrific battle in deep space and of a mysterious woman suffering in agony for her devastated world. A woman not yet born, calling across centuries to him. Then, a coincidence leads him to his destiny, his chance to alter the universe. Attack Attack of the Rockwell. The former fiction editor for Star Wars and Indiana Jones, Robert Simpson, writes, 
The soul of the novel Attack of the Rockoids lies in its heart and passion for building a convincing tale of a love that spans a galaxy. A thrilling story. Attack of the Rockoids is available now. Read a sample chapter and get a special discount off of the cover price at our website, rockoids.com. That's R-O-C-K-O-I-D-S dot com. Attack of the Rockoids, a novel in the grand science fiction tradition. Are you tired of spending money for metal canning lids year after year? Then stop! Stop buying metal lids and get Tatler reusable canning lids. Made of USDA and FDA-approved food-grade plastic, Tatler canning lids let you safely store emergency preparedness foods for years. Traditional metal lids are single-use throwaways that contain BPA, but Tatler canning lids are indefinitely reusable and guaranteed to last a lifetime when used as designed for home canning and contain no BPA. Tatler lids are dishwasher safe, perfect for standard pressure or water bath canning, eliminate food spoilage from acid corrosion, fit standard mason jars and are proudly made in the USA. Place orders by phone at 877-747-2793 or go to reusablecanninglids.com. That's 1-877-747-2793 or go to reusablecanninglids.com. That's reusablecanninglids.com. Tatler Reusable Canning Lids, the original since 1976. Local Army Navy surplus stores are hard to find these days, but not military-issue supplies. They're right here online at MainMilitary.com. That's right, just like the state, M-A-I-N-E, Military.com. We have everything for true, total preparedness. MainMilitary.com is not a typical website. It has much more than your old surplus store. Quality military-issue survival gear like canteens, mess kits, utensils, gas masks, filters, and chemical suits. Magnesium fire-starting tools, strike anywhere, waterproof, and storm matches. First aid kits, splints, tourniquets, parachute 550 cord, military manuals, sandbags by the bale, and a huge molly assortment of vests and pouches for every need. Call 207-989-6783, 207-989-6783, or visit MainMilitary.com. That's M-A-I-N-E, Military.com, the main name in military supply. If you drive for a living, you don't get paid to stop or wait in line. Keep your wheels moving with prepass. Bypass way stations. Fly by port of entry facilities. Stay moving at highway speed while the guy without prepass waits in line. Save time, save money. Call 888-401-PASS to try prepass free. That's 888-401-PASS. What's cooking at prizekitchen.com? Plenty! Low prices on your favorite kitchen brand appliances, Vitamix blenders, Omega juicers, reverse osmosis systems, and more. Plus, free shipping on it all. Prizekitchen.com gives your family the tools for a healthy lifestyle by eating more fruits and veggies and drinking pure water. Go to prizekitchen.com. Great selection, low prices, free shipping. Prizekitchen.com. We help make healthy lifestyles convenient. Are you tired of searching for great talk radio? Something more important. Search no more. We are the GCN Radio Network. You never know what's going to happen next while listening to the Tech Night Isle live with Gene Steinberg. Paul Wagenseal of the Security News Daily at securitynewsdaily.com. 
And it covers everything, cybercrime, home and auto, identity theft, internet scams. We talked about Mac and PC security, whether your car is safe. So I'm going to ask you, Paul, you have yes. an article there. <laughs> How easily can a power plant be hacked? Are we talking nuclear or just standard or both? Probably both. Uh, oh. The problem is that a lot of these uh, power plants and a lot of industrial industrial uh so, you know, facilities in general, they use what they call programmable logic controllers, PLCs. They're basically little computers, just devices with software that you can update that just run processes, just repetitive stuff that no one, you know, wants to do manually, but fairly complicated stuff. Now, do you remember the Stuxnet, the Stuxnet um, worm that... Um, uh, attacked the Iranian uh, nuclear processing facility last year? Yes, yes. Tell our listeners about this. Well, Stuxnet, what happened was uh, about a year ago, this uh, small security company in the Ukraine noticed that, that there was this weird weird worm. And a worm is a, is a, is a piece of malware that operates independently. It can, it can propagate through networks without any human assistance. That's why it's called a worm. And uh, this worm was showing up in industrial systems, um, and it was, it went on, and also on Windows machines. And it was very, very striking because it, it contained no fewer than four different zero-day exploits. In other words, completely unknown up to that point um, exploits of Windows vulnerabilities. And it was also pretty complicated. Um, it was it was designed to to basically migrate from one flash drive to another using PCs. Basically, a flash drive would get plugged into a computer. It would ins- inject itself into the computer and wait for another flash drive to come and jump on that. And that's the way it would spread through the world. And people started analyzing it, and they started realizing that it was it was kind of targeting um, Siemens programmable logic controllers made by this German conglomerate Siemens. Eventually, reports started coming out of Iran that they were having problems refining uranium at at their major uranium processing plant. And people put two and two together and realized that this bug called Stuxnet was pretty much designed to attack that specific uranium refining facility in Iran. And it had been actually introduced into the wild and had been given several weeks to spread slowly through the world's industrial systems over the internet or by flash drives because this facility in Iran is actually not connected to the internet itself. It had to be introduced there by someone literally walking in it in, in his pocket and plugging it into a computer there. It was a really admirable piece of work and, and in, in a way it was the first real cyber weapon because until then Israel had been really itching to, to bomb that facility in Iran the the Americans had tried been trying to restrain them and basically you know even you know Israel asked the Bush administration uh, toward the end, end of Bush's second term if they could have flyover rights over Iraq to attack the Iranian facility and the Bush administration said no we don't want to start a war over this and in a way this is a better solution they just use a piece of software they disabled the facility for a while. They set back the Iranian program by maybe you know a year and a half, two years. No one got hurt. Well, of course, they can use the same technology here, though. That's the they problem. They could. They could. And I suppose everyone's, you know, but then what would be the big problem? I mean, it would be inconvenient for, for a power plant to be shut down in the United States, but it could also be, be started up pretty quickly again. What is the thing that they could do if they take over or hack a power plant? What possible complications? Is it just turning it off? What about a nuclear power plant? Could you knock the thing into overload or something? I'm thinking of science fiction concepts here. 
But yeah, maybe you could. Maybe you could actually somehow induce a meltdown. However, I think you'd have to go have to go through several steps. I think it's, it's it's actually more complicated than it sounds. What Stuxnet did in Iran was 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 very clever, and it, what it did was it it um it got into the Siemens programmable logical controllers and sped up the centrifuges to to a point where they would break. But at the same time, it would actually take the old video footage, old monitoring sort of data that was supposed to see how well these things were running and just play back old ones while, meanwhile, it's wrecking them. It's like that old, like, joke in every single movie, Ocean's Eleven, where they run back the uh, security footage that looks like everything's normal. That's what Suxnet did in the Iranian facility. Now, again, could this happen in the United States? Yes, theoretically. And... A lot of people are, are, are giving speeches saying that we are very vulnerable to, the, to this stuff. Um, some other people are skeptical about that. They say that the, the guys giving these scary speeches are just trying to drum, drum up consulting business. It's a kind of a constant argument. We, uh, we had a uh, series about this a couple of weeks ago called about just on cyber war, whether cyber war is really a threat, whether it's just hype. What would happen in, in case of like a sort of like attack on the, on the uh, infrastructure? And there's a lot of people who are very smart, who, who are very skeptical about this and say, listen, if they took over a power plant, you'd have a blackout, period. Okay, blackouts are bad. They're certainly disruptive. But in, it, in and of itself, a blackout is not going to destroy a country. Now, sure, you but could. if you have a blackout, you can do things during that blackout to create havoc. It's not just the blackout. It's the consequences where people don't have the power, don't have the lights. Suddenly, you can create all sorts of mischief, can't you? Right, right. But you would, the real danger would be to have a blackout in conjunction with a physical attack, which is certainly a possibility. That's the um, point, that it is one step of many. Right, right. What else what, can you take over? What part of our infrastructure, in addition to power plants, can you hack? Uh, water treatment facilities, uh, dams, um, transit systems, air traffic control systems. Now, that's one thing about transit systems. More and more of, say, the, the subways are mm-hmm. run by automated systems. That's it's right. not so much the old days. I remember the old days because my late father worked with the New York City transit system. The surface system, he worked with the buses. But he knew the people who worked in the subways, and you had so-called motormen. And these are the guys who ran the subway trains. That's but right. A lot of that is automated now. If those automated systems get hacked, are there safety issues, potential checks and balances so one train doesn't crash into another. It's like almost these action movies you see with trains sure. on the run. Well, I know that right now in, a, in, in the New York City subway system, the, the trains are more highly automated, but there is still a motorman in every train. What, what, you, what you don't have anymore are conductors in every train. So the announcements about what, you know, the, the next station and, and the stuff that the, the, the conductor used to do is all being done by a machine now. But there's still a guy in the front of the train driving it. Um, are we going to have completely automated trains in the future? It's possible. Um, I'm sure there's probably some amusement park somewhere that does that. And, yeah, that is a problem. Someone could take it over. Um, and to be and honest... We have to get Bruce Willis in there. And, <laughs> and, and Justin Long, of course. Sure. We have to get him in there to help. But yeah. that's the other question, too. Things like that, public transportation being taken over. That can always be a problem. And I know now you have in here in Phoenix, we have, I guess you call them almost like trolley cars, a surface-based public transportation system on rail. 
Mm -hmm. I'm not sure to what extent it's automated. So, you know, I'd be speaking out of turn there to say what's going on. Yeah. I think that in in, in American public transit, there is a really – I don't think anyone's ready to to step aside and and let a – a tram or a train run itself. You've always got to have someone in the driver's seat. Of course, sometimes he's texting and he runs into a, you know, into a bus. <sighs> yes, but, I've heard of that. Yeah, but again, that's human error, um, and you can certainly you can't stop yeah. that. No security can't stop that, routine but, can stop people from being stupid. No. Okay. But I, th- but I think people, I think I don't think we're ready as a society or uh, to sort of like let the machine complete control of these things yet. Um, and I think it would be a danger if, if if we did. Well, you kind of think what would happen if we had an automated traffic control system connected to cars so that they would set up traffic patterns on superhighways. You wouldn't have to worry about people doing rear-end collisions. you control the flow of traffic so you wouldn't have as many traffic jams. I mean, it's certainly kind of a utopian concept, but in practicality... It's something that is not going to happen for a hundred years, maybe, or ever. I mean, it, the 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 is is it really worth the expense of, of creating such a system when when people manage to do things properly? You know, you know, ninety nine nine hundred ninety nine times out of a thousand. Um, well, the other issue, of course, is what if we get into what you saw in the movie, The Fifth Element, where all the cars are. Flying cars, elevated <laughs> cars, and you have to have a complicated traffic control system that not only checks the horizontal, but the vertical positioning. That's it's right. It's be pretty crazy. Hey, Paul Wagonseal, where do we find more of the stuff you write about? Securitynewsdaily.com. Simple. Securitynewsdaily.com. Paul, I have to tell you, I just discovered this site after our friend Avram Pilch recommended it to me. And it's an incredible treasure trove of information. Paul, thanks for joining us on the Tech Night Out Live. Thank you. Hi, this is Ted Anderson. If you'd like to listen to GCN programs on the go, I have great news. GCN has created a Droid and iPhone application, and it's free. Just as easy as going to GCNlive.com, click on the banner and download. Before you know it, you'll be listening to your favorite hard-hitting GCN shows, live or on demand, right on your Droid or iPhone, 24-7 and on the go. So download the Droid and iPhone app free by clicking on the banner at GCNlive.com. Thanks again for listening to GCNlive.com. Again, that's GCNlive.com. We the people grow cotton, weave fabric, engrave ink, embed strips and fibers to protect from counterfeit, and carding to a private bank, having it lent back at interest, forcing taxes to service debt. This capitalism, or was Jefferson correct when stating a central bank issuing the public currency is a greater menace to the liberties of the people than a standing army? Ted Anderson, I'm placing a free silver dollar in a book that explains our monetary system. Call for your copy, 800-686-2237. It's time to understand the system. Call 800-686-2237. That's 800-686-2237. Welcome back to the Tech Night All Live, where you never know what's going to happen next. And now, here's Gene Steinberg. The lab director of Macworld Magazine tests lots of stuff. He's Jim Galbraith, and he's back to tell us how he has to set things up, maybe almost all over again, because Apple has a new OS. So before we get to the MacBook Air and the new Mac Mini, what did you have to do to take into account there's a new OS in town? Hi, Gene. Um, let's see. The biggest thing, of course, is 
running everything on OS 10 Lion. So uh, I originally thought while I gathered all the 18 tests uh, and migrated them to Lion that I could maybe downgrade <laughs> the first few systems that came out with Lion and run it on Snow Leopard and then I could keep Speedmark 6.5 going for another few weeks. While okay, I- folks, that is the test routine that Macworld uses. That's correct. So we run around 18 real-world tests using a variety of applications, uh, the Finder and everything else. Um, and uh, we run it on every shipping Mac system. We try and run it on as many legacy systems as well. And uh, we rate them all on a score of 1 to 100. Well, there's a 100 system that we set. And so then we give them everything a score based on uh, one 100 system. Anyway, uh, the new systems that came out, uh, the MacBook Airs and the Mac Minis, uh, you couldn't downgrade them to Snow Leopard. So I had to scramble and get a bunch of systems tested, uh, comparative systems tested with uh, as many applications and tests as I could, running Lion. And so I did that, basically uh, taking taking advantage of uh, starting from scratch to make sure all the applications are completely up to date, Uh, you know, the uh, parallels had uh, updated. You know, uh, no, who was it? Uh, one of the uh, Mathematica had uh, updated from seven to eight, just as we had uh, launched Speedmark six five. So now we're using Mathematica eight. Uh, those kinds of things. So that's what we're doing. What we're doing. What we're busy doing right now is testing everything all over again with Lion with updated apps. Adding file sizes, making things, making sure the tests take long enough to be measurable, and and it's having having fun. Let me ask you kind of a specific question here. Okay, with OS Ten Lion, are you noticing any specific measurable differences in performance from Snow Leopard? I mean, people do that kind of benchmark testing. Can you determine anything from it? I, the first thing I did was try to, to try to run the same exact tests on Snow Leopard. And on Lion, and for the most part, things were pretty similar. It seems that OS 10.7 is really more about features than big performance gains. You know, uh, we did see a couple of uh, processor tests, you know, inch up a little bit, and I also found that some of the uh, more uh, storage-related things, you know, duplicating files, those kinds of things, slowed down by a second or two in Lion. So it ended up being a wash. The first systems I tested, uh, I just, you know, ran all of Speedmark as much as I could uh, with uh, with Lion, and the system I tested, which I think was a MacBook Pro, got the exact same Speedmark score. So basically, it's a wash. Some things are a little faster, some things are a little slower. But on average, the Mac user, unless there is some specific issue with their hardware, shouldn't see a measurable difference. No, like I said, it's, it seems to be all about features at this point. Things may speed up. Uh, you know, they can probably tune things a little bit as you know, ten seven one comes out or ten seven two. But uh, for right now, there's not much of a difference in terms of performance. Okay, so let's break out the hardware. We have new MacBook Airs. They look the same, but there are some notable differences. These being, well, some big differences under the hood. Yeah, externally everything looks, everything pretty much looks the same. Um, but uh, extern- but internally, there's quite a few big changes. One is uh, they've finally been able to leave behind the core two duos that they uh, were introduced with, as far as the MacBook Airs. 
um, and uh, and both the MacBook Air and Mac Mini have moved on to the Core i era. With uh, they're all shipping with Core i five processors, um, and uh, because they're using the Core i five processors, they need to use uh, when they're using integrated graphics. They need to use the Intel integrated graphics. Before um, they were using NVIDIA, but there is a licensing issue between NVIDIA and Intel which prevents them from making their integrated processors for the new chips from Intel. That's right. So it made things a little trickier, and I think that's really why Apple had had kept with the core two duos uh, for as long as they did in the systems that kind of required integrated graphics because um, Intel's integrated graphics, until now, were pretty lackluster in terms of performance. And so, uh, but with the HD Intel integrated HD three thousand uh, graphics that are shipping with the Core i fives uh, in these systems, um, you know, I think that uh, performance, though not great, it's at least you know kind of on par with the NVIDIA parts that they were using before. And so they felt that you know with uh, with the performance was now at a level that they could move forward and and leave the core two duos behind. Now, I'm hearing So the cool here, thing about... Let me ask you a quick question here. I'm hearing that as far as the new chip from Intel, if you're playing older games, for some reason it doesn't do as well. If you're playing newer games, it does about as well. That's correct. The, um, if our, our test from Speedmark 6.5 was, uh, was Call of Duty 4, and uh, that... that game was developed you know before the Intel HD 3000 graphics came out and um, because the integrated graphics for Intel were so you know lackluster uh, previously uh, game developers just didn't pay much attention and didn't really try and optimize for them they were just you know it wasn't worth their time I think is what is how they felt um, but with the uh, with the new Intel integrated graphics these things are actually pretty good. And uh, developers are paying attention. So, so newer games, I think, have been optimized and have they, you know, they've been designing them and and tweaking them to make sure that they run well on the integrated graphics from Intel. So, um, Call of Duty Four came out well before that, and so um, it just wasn't optimized. And yeah, so if you're running older games, it's going to be, you know, much slower. It can be, you know, I think we saw like fifty percent fewer frame rates in one case. Uh, going uh, from the uh, NVIDIA to the Intel HD 3000. So, Fast question here. Is it possible in the operating system to optimize the processor, the drivers, for the graphics, integrated graphics, to maybe improve performance on older games? That I don't know. I mean, I would think that the that Intel could come up with some you know optimized drivers, but I do think that I think a lot of it has to do with the games as well. Uh, a lot of, I know when I've talked to uh, ATI and game developers in the past, it's uh, it's kind of a it's kind of a dance they all do where they kind of well we'll change this and you tweak that if you do this we'll do that and so uh, you know it'll be three parties Apple the graphics maker and the game developer all kind of working together to make sure things are running uh, as best they can and I just don't know if anybody's got the time to go backwards and do that kind of stuff. I guess if customers complain enough, but then for most people, this is not a machine that is specifically designed to address graphics processing in terms of games. It plays back high-definition videos, no problem. 
That's correct. Yeah, I mean these these graphics cards, these integrated graphics cards are good enough for for most things. And if you're a gamer, then you're not, you're going to want discrete graphics. So um, the Mac Mini, the 2.5 gigahertz higher end Mac Mini, does come with uh, ATI discrete graphics, AMD now. But uh, and so that's where we want to go because we saw you know twice the frame rates you know going from the integrated to discrete. Okay, so there's the trade off. But in terms of raw processing power. It's a powerhouse. It is much, much faster. We've, we've found problems, you know, with the first MacBook, with, with all the MacBook Airs, actually probably the second generation on, where even though Apple was putting in faster and faster processes, bumping up the speeds, whenever things started heating up, they were so concerned about overheating the systems that they would kind of throttle down the processor. So it didn't really matter I mean, if you put a bigger engine in a car, but you still only go 20 miles an hour every time it starts to, you know, <laughs> starts to heat up, then... It's, there's uh, another connection there I'll give you in a moment. And I do think that connection will be very, very obvious for most of our listeners. You'll see what I mean. We have Jim Galbraith of Macworld Magazine. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in the Tech Night Owl Live. Ray Perkins, a reclusive veteran burned out from the Gulf War, lives tortured by relentless, perplexing nightmares. Nightmares of a horrific battle in deep space and of a mysterious woman suffering in agony for her devastated world. A woman not yet born, calling across centuries to him. Then, a coincidence leads him to his destiny, his chance to alter the universe. Attack! Attack! of the Rockaways. The former fiction editor for Star Wars and Indiana Jones, Robert Simpson, writes, The soul of the novel Attack of the Rockaways lies in its heart and passion for building a convincing tale of a love that spans the galaxy. A thrilling story. Attack of the Rockaways is available now. Read a sample chapter and get a special discount off of the cover price at our website, rockoids.com. That's R-O-C-K-O-I-D-S dot com. Attack of the Rockwell, a novel in the grand science fiction tradition. Have you ever felt like the United States government knows way too much about your financial affairs? I continue to hear stories about property seizures, frozen bank accounts, confiscation of stocks and bonds. It makes me wonder if the U.S. citizen will ever again have the right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Unfortunately, with the Drug and Money Laundering Act, the IRS Revenue Ruling 6045 of 1984, and the Trading with the Enemy Act and Franklin D. Roosevelt's Executive Order of 1933, some precious metal holdings are subject to government intervention. For this reason, Midas Resources has prepared a report explaining the boundaries of trading precious metals privately. Whether if you have any intention of trading with Midas Resources or not, I have instructed my representatives to give this report out free. Call for your free copy at 1-800-686-2237. When investing, always proceed with caution. Again, call 1-800-686-2237. Exercise your legal right to trade metals privately. 1-800-686-2237. Big Berkey water filters are in high demand. Storable foods are also in high demand. BigBerkeyWaterFilters.com has always kept our focus on the Berkey water filter products. But increasingly, our customers have been asking for storable foods. After months of research, BigBerkeyWaterFilters.com now offers great-tasting, long-lasting, storable foods. These ready-to-eat meals are packed in airtight nitrogen pouches. All you do is just add water. And because they're sealed so well, they come with a 25-year shelf life. 
Combine our Berkey water filters, which are powerful enough to purify treated, untreated, or even stagnant pond water with our storable foods, and you have a winning combination. Remember, we offer free shipping on every order over $50, and GCN listeners receive 5% off all ceramic filter systems. Visit BigBerkeyWaterFilters.com or call 877-99-BERKEY. That's BigBerkeyWaterFilters.com or call 877-99-BERKEY today. Energy, energy, and more energy. We all need it. Get the energy you need quick through the powers of wild forest extract. Wild chug on birch bark are the secrets of the forest used exclusively by Russian athletes. Wild chaga is the world's top source of superoxide dismutase, the critical enzyme that blocks the aging process. Chaga is good for your heart and even helps support healthy arteries. Wild birch extract is the top source of betulin, a natural sterile needed by every cell of the body. And healthy cells mean a healthy body and a more powerful you. No wonder it's known as a king of all herbs. Experience real energy and power like you've never dreamed possible. Take Chago Charge Tea with Wild Birch Bark every day and Chaga Max capsules to get the energy you need. You deserve it. Order today by calling 877-817-9829. 877-817-9829. That's 877-817-9829. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. These products are not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. The GCN Radio Network, providing the world with hard-hitting talk radio. GCN. Great talk radio starts here. We want to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the Tech Night Owl Live, send it to news at technightowl.com. That's news at technightowl.com. And don't forget, you can visit the famous Tech Night Owl community forums at forum.technightowl.com Get in on all the action. That's forum.technightowl.com Jim Galbraith, the lab director of Macworld Magazine, joining us on the Tech Night Owl Live. I'm Gene Steinberg. The other comparison I was saying is you were pointing out that with the older MacBook Airs, the energy-saving system would power down if the thing started to get too hot. Of course, with cars, you know, they have situations there where if you are driving smoothly with some vehicles, they deactivate some of the cylinders on the engine. Yeah. Okay. So they basically slowed it down to make it work under higher demand conditions, which kind of works against itself. What about the new processors in the new MacBook Airs? The new processors don't seem to have that problem. They seem to be consistently much faster. Sometimes, you know, we were seeing, you know, twice the performance in uh, the really processor-intensive kind of tests like Cinebench and uh, Handbrake and uh, Mathematica. These were uh, tests that really, you know, pound the processors and take advantage of uh, all the processing cores, virtual and, and, and physical, that are, are present. And uh, with the Core i5s, they do have hyper-threading technology, which was not available in the Core 2 Duo. So, uh, well, Hyper-threading, ladies and gentlemen, means that it's a way of simulating the functions of additional cores. Right. So if you have two cores with hyper-threading, then the OS sees four cores. You're, it's like it can run two uh, processing threads at the same time. And so you can see double the performance. So that is, does, you know, in processor-intensive tests, we were seeing, you know, a lot faster uh, performance numbers coming out. Very impressive. 
You know, they're still using the same uh, same type of storage internally. So they've got the fast uh, solid state storage uh, in the MacBook Airs and still the kind of pokey 5400 RPM drives in the uh, Mac minis. So those kinds of tests that really hit the hard drive, you're not seeing a big difference. But if it hits the processor, uh, the Core i5s, without a doubt, you know, much faster than the Core 2 Duos. So on the whole, this is a lot more powerful machine, both the Mac Mini and the MacBook Air. Now, MacBook Air customers are already used to the fact that there's no internal optical drive. If you need one, you buy an external drive. But the Mac Mini, this is all new in that line. That line's been out for several years from PowerPC to Intel. The case design was upgraded last year, which made it fairly easy to replace memory. But now they took out the optical drive. Did Apple say anything about it or it just happened and that's it? I think they've just decided that, you know, well, they're trying to kill it. <laughs> you know, I, I think you they think? want you to be. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, they're, they figure that if you really, really want one, you can go external with it. And uh, if you don't, if you don't need one, then you don't need one. And, you know, now, you know, nothing when you buy a new Mac Mini or a MacBook Air, you know, you don't get any kind of optical drive. You don't get a thumb drive. There's, you know, there's no, there's no media in the box. Okay, so I want to reinstall my operating system. It all has to be done online. Yeah, that's right. Unless you've, unless you've followed the instructions we do have on MacWorld.com uh, on how to create a bootable, uh, a bootable CD or a bootable thumb drive that includes, you know, that can reinstall Lion. There is ways of doing that, but Apple doesn't provide them for you. So Apple believes that everybody in the United States and around the world has a broadband Internet connection, whereas 25% of the people in this country don't have broadband. They can't get it. They don't want it, whatever. They're stuck or Apple doesn't care about them. They do. You know, you can go into an Apple store, though I'm not sure, you know, how many of those people that don't have access to broadband, you know, how many miles they have to drive to get to an Apple store. But I tend you to think in rural areas, the likelihood of having an Apple store near you is <laughs> rather low. I suppose you could look for a McDonald's or a Starbucks with a Wi-Fi hotspot. You know, there's always I'm that. Su- I'm sure they'd love you to come in and <laughs> download multi-gigabytes of, uh, of data on their free Wi-Fi networks. But, yes, that's what you got to do. It's a new world. But, uh, and it, you know, it seems to work well here. In San Francisco, where we do have broadband access, so uh, I did have to go back and reinstall Lion, and I was able to boot from the recovery partition, the small partition that comes now that that resides on every uh, boot disk um, on your hard drive when you get Lion installed. So you boot into that, and uh, you can run disk utilities. You can do all those things as well as if you uh, if you purchased Lion uh, and registered it with the uh, Apple. App Store, then you can re-download the uh, OS. I think the purchasing decision comes next, of course. You have the option of getting the really cute and thin and light MacBook Air, or you get a MacBook Pro traditional. You can have it with an optical drive. You have a solid-state drive option or a standard hard drive. You have all the ports. You have everything. Where do you make the decision? How's it come down? Well, if you... Right now, if you still need FireWire, um, if you need anything other than USB, 
uh, it's still, you know, it, it's good to kind of have a MacBook Pro. You've got a lot more options as far as connectivity. You don't have to have a USB <laughs> USB adapter for Ethernet if you were going to wanted to plug in. Um, it does have the optical drive. It's much more convenient in that respect. It is also heavier, um, but with uh, with the new, you know, with Thunderbolt on board with the new MacBook Airs and the Mac Minis, though there's no. Uh, there's not too many things you can plug into them right now, uh, but it's coming. And uh, when the new displays come, the new uh, cinema displays come, you're going to be able to have, you're going to be able to plug in your Thunderbolt, your MacBook Air with a Thunderbolt cable to that display, and you're going to have FireWire, USB, and Thunderbolt connectivity on the back of that uh, cinema display. And all of a sudden, you know, when, you're, you, when you probably need it the most, you're going to be able to have the options to put in, you know, have external drives running fast, multiple displays, a lot of things that you just had to kind of give up before with the MacBook Air that you don't have to anymore. Well, we have to look at what the sales picture is, which is Apple is selling about as many as they can build, right? Yeah, I when I went down to purchase them, uh, the person at the Apple store said that she was definitely kind of caught off guard with the, the, the response and how, you know, people were queued up like it was a, you know, iPhone release day. <laughs> no, not quite that much, but there were people queued up in line before the store opened when the, when the MacBook Airs went on sale. And, uh, yes, there is a lot of interest in the MacBook Air. So if you've heard rumors, and I know you can't comment on rumors because you don't know any more than I do about it, that Apple may be making 15 and 17-inch versions of some kind of MacBook configuration, sans the optical drive, and PC notebook makers are ditching them too. Yep, we're we're seeing it happen. So it's it's it seems to be coming. You know, uh, Apple, as they like to do, will sometimes accelerate that process. Um, but uh, but yeah, it, it seems to be the wave of the future, at least for Apple things, is that you know there's not going to be any more media coming with it. Everything can be downloaded uh, over the internet, and and it's just not really uh, no longer no longer a need for optical drives, at least in the eyes of of Apple. I still need them, <laughs> you know. I understand. Uh, By the way, where do we find more of the stuff that Jim Galbraith writes and researches about? MacWorld.com. Just as simple. The lab director of MacWorld. Jim Galbraith, thank you so much for joining us on the Tech Night Out Live. Thanks, Gene. Graphic Converter is the image manipulation tool for the rest of us. It does not use any database. You get full control of all your files. Want to view the images of a folder? Drag it into Graphic Converter, and a powerful browser opens up to show your image files. You could use it for slideshows. You could use it to import images from digital cameras or from scanners. Need to do some image editing? You can do that, too, in Graphic Converter. Also, print catalogs. Convert from so many formats i can't even list them download now to see if graphic converter is good for you like one and a half million other users guess what you could save money when you buy graphic converter use the coupon code night owl use the coupon code night owl to get a special price for graphic converter go to lemkesoft.com that's l-e-m-k-e soft.com lemkesoft.com l-e-m-k-e soft.com 
If you're concerned about radiation poisoning from Japan in the air, water, or food and can't find potassium iodide, go to RestoreYourHealthNow.com and choose Liquid Zeolite. Liquid Zeolite is hands down the best product to remove radiation from your body and safely removes toxins, heavy metals, boosts energy levels, and promotes a strong immune system. For fatigue, muscle weakness, headaches, memory loss, influenza, joint pain, or toxic radiation poisoning, use Liquid Zeolite from RestoreYourHealthNow.com. Liquid Zeolite is so powerful it was used to clean up contamination in Chernobyl, yet so gentle you won't even know you're taking it. Liquid Zeolite comes with a money-back guarantee but is only available at RestoreYourHealthNow.com. Learn how to get free bottles of Liquid Zeolite at RestoreYourHealthNow.com. That's RestoreYourHealthNow.com or call 800-880-9976. Call 800-880-9976 today and learn how to get free bottles of Liquid Zeolite. We all know that Berkey Water Purification Systems are the most trusted name in water filtration. As an authorized Berkey dealer for over six years and serving thousands of satisfied customers, the Berkey Guy offers amazing specials for Berkey Water Filtration Systems. The Berkey Light Systems include a set of self-sterilizing and recleanable black purification elements that purify water by removing chlorine, pathogenic bacteria, cysts and parasites to non-detectable levels and remove harmful chemicals such as herbicides and pesticides. Order the Berkey Light System today, complete with two black Berkey elements for only $231, and the Berkey Guy will ship your order free of charge. With the purchase of a Berkey Light, the Berkey Guy is also offering a set of fluoride and arsenic filters for only $39.99. That's over 30% off the retail price. Call the Berkey Guy at 1 886 3653. That's 1 886 3653. Or order online at goberkey.com. That's goberkey.com today. Don't let summer be a bummer. Stop sunburn pain, poison ivy, and mosquito bite itch, and the burn of athlete's foot with just one safe all natural first aid product, Dermatol. Many GCN listeners have already discovered how effective Dermatol is as a natural, non-acidic way to treat cuts, burns, bites, rashes, shingles, boils, and many skin problems. Now this special offer. Buy one bottle of Dermatol. Get one bottle free. Call 1-800-217-6677 and mention GCN. Dermatol is the must-have first First aid product for your preparedness kit. Made in America by Americans, Dermatol's soothing, rapid restoration of injured skin is so effective it's guaranteed. Call 800-217-6677. That's 800-217-6677. And ask for the GCN Buy One, Get One Free Special or use coupon code GCN at checkout at DermatolUSA.com. Spelled D-E-R-M-A-T-O-L-U-S-A.com. Efficient, economical, effective. Spray it all with Dermatol. America's number one source for independent talk radio for over a decade. We are the GCN Radio Network. What's going to happen next? You never know when you're listening to the Tech Night Owl live with Gene Steinberg. So we have Ted Landau, who writes for Mac Observer and other places, and we're going to talk about various and sundry Lion issues. And I guess one thing that may have arisen, one of the questions, Ted, and that is with Lion, are they more or less dumbing it down to make it more iOS-like? Of course, that's what they said about the Mac originally back in 1984. It was a dumbed-down operating system in so many words. Real people then used 
the command line. So what do you think? Well, there's certainly something to that. I, I, don't, I don't know whether I would call it dumbing down or not, but they certainly are making moves to make Mac OS X line more like the iOS uh, operating system. Uh, the good news is, in most cases, in almost all cases, I think, you still have a choice. That is, whatever they've done to make the line more uh, iOS-like, you can largely ignore it and do things the old way if, if you want to or with just a minimum of effort. But they definitely are pushing you in that direction. The newest features, the ones that get the most press, the mission control, the launch pad, the full screen apps, other features that we can talk about if you want. Those are all things that when you look at them, they sort of remind you of iOS and certainly the increased emphasis on multi-touch gestures from the trackpad uh, is, is a trackpad translation of the same sort of gestures that you would use on an iPad. In fact, even even one of the more talked about things, the way Apple uh, reversed the directions of how you use the scroll bars is to bring it in line with how moving your fingers moves uh, moves a document uh, in iOS apps. So, yes, they're pushing it in that direction. They're also, the other thing in terms of what you're calling dumbing down that they have done is started to hide a lot of the more technical aspects of the operating system. This is something we can talk about at greater length if you want. Uh, but the, the idea, for instance, that the the library folder in your home directory is now invisible. Now, explain uh, to our listeners, what is the library folder all about? We know about the home directory or your user directory, mm-hmm. but the library folder, what's the purpose of it? The library folder is a folder, uh, the library folders in general, and there are multiple library folders on your operating system carry what we can call, by and large, the system files. They're not the Unix files. The Unix files are, are separate, and they're also invisible, and they have been forever since Mac OS X was born, essentially. But there are system files that aren't Unix, that carry preferences, and the finder itself is considered a system file, and various uh, frameworks uh, that, that, that Apple uses to accomplish things that allow uh, applications to have a, a common look and feel, various sorts of data that get maintained by the system, how you last left your window opens, and things of that sort. All of those things are system uh, files. The, the system files that are specific to just you, in other words, the ones that might be different if another user logged into your account, the, the ones that are custom for just you are in a library folder in your home directory. That's what it's doing there. And by and large, I would say, I don't know, I can't give you a percentage, but if you force me, I would say something like 90% of Mac users probably never have to go into that folder. In fact, uh, there's some danger that if some person goes into that folder and doesn't know what they're doing and starts willy-nilly deleting files, thinking that that might be a good thing to do, they could do some harm in terms of losing important data that they don't want to lose. Specifically, we should mention, we have preferences. You make a setting in an application for your particular purposes, that setting disappears. In Apple's mail, your accounts are stored in a preference file. If you get rid of it, all the accounts you've stored in your Apple mail, well, they're gone. Then you have an application support folder. In there, it's just various and sundry files that an application may need. Sometimes they could regenerate it, but other times you may be forced to reinstall an app if you toss out the wrong file. Absolutely. On the other hand, that folder has useful troubleshooting value. One of the more common pieces of troubleshooting advice, uh, speaking of things that regenerate, is that if you're having trouble with an application, you find its preferences file. It's a .plist file, P-L-I-S-T, in the preferences folder in your home directory library and delete it, or at least remove it in case we want to put it back 
later you'll still have it. And a new one, a new default one will regenerate. And if, if there was a problem with corruption or a bad setting in your previous plist file, that problem will now go away. Uh, it's a very standard troubleshooting uh, bit of advice and a common reason for people to delve into the library folder. As such, the library folder stood there. If you knew about that troubleshooting technique, if you had other reasons that you wanted to go, like you said, into the application support folder or whatever other folder inside the library folder that you wanted to do, it was there for you to go in. If it intimidated you, if you were worried about it, if you didn't know what to do with it, you were told just to ignore it. Uh, that seemed to be the default position for a lot of things in, in Apple. It was a sort of, you know, if you, for those of you who know how to do it, here's, you know, it's easy to do. For those of you who don't know how to do it, just ignore it. Apple seems to be taking a different position with line. It's now, for those of you who know how to do it, you're going to have to find how to do it. For those of you who might be intimidated or, or, or don't want to bother or don't want to see it, good news, we're hiding it from you. The, the net result is to make the system look more user-friendly, I think. It's, it's totally consistent with Apple's general position. They're saying now that if you're a technical power super competent user, you'll find your way. The ways to do the things you want to do are still there. They're just going to be more effort because we're trying to make this system more opaque to the, the, the lower level user who doesn't want to see any of that stuff and might only be intimidated by it. So if you know what you're doing, you know how to get there. It's like a need to know basis. Yeah. And it sort of makes sense. Uh, at, at level, you know, what to, to tell the, the power users that, Things are going to be a little more difficult, but you can handle it because your power users seems to be a more positive attitude than telling the novice users there are things that you shouldn't touch, but we're, we're going to leave them where you can see them anyway, and you're just going to have to learn to avoid them. Well, of course, uh, that's the way the original Mac OS was. Every single file was visible, accessible, no matter what the consequences. Oh, that's the way operating systems were in general. I, I mean, historically, my feeling is historically – Computers and operating systems were for technical people. At, at some point, an early point in the history of computers, there was no friendly user interface. It was, like you said, the command line. And then it was like the Apple II, which was, which was more user-friendly, but just one step beyond the command line. You were still typing into a line all the time. And so there's a historical preference that says that's the sort of default position. And we're overlaying this user-friendly interface to make things easier for people that don't want to do it. Well, now the overlay is sort of becoming the default. It's now now, the default position is it's easy, it's, it's pleasant to use, and now what you have to do is find your way if you want to get to that technical stuff that used to be the default. If it's a little bit harder, the people who really shouldn't be poking their nose into that place won't poke their nose. Now, also, another change is you have an applications folder. It used mm -hmm. to be you just drag the application to the trash, mm. but that isn't always the way it works now. It's not so easy. Yes, Apple did something called changing the permissions on the on the application folder and, and files within the folder that make it more difficult to, to move something from the applications folder. If you just drag a file from the applications folder now, chances are what you will do is copy it. Like if you dragged an application to your desktop, a copy of that application will be on your desktop rather than removing it. And I think, again, that's part and parcel with the Mac App Store. 
when when you download something from the Mac App Store, it automatically goes to the Applications folder. Apple doesn't want you to start messing with that. Apple doesn't want you to then download, say, 20 applications from the Mac App Store and put each of those 20 applications in a different folder because you think that's how you want to organize things. They want you to keep that stuff in the application folder. It will make it easier for the Mac App Store to track uh, what applications you have, and it will make it uh, for a more consistent interface. If you really want to do it, again, if, if you really do want to move something from the application folder and you know what you're doing, there are ways to do it. They're not that difficult. You can and sometimes just holding down the command key and dragging will be sufficient. You probably will have to enter your administrator password before that works, but you'll be able to do it. So once again, yes, there are ways around it. But uh, the default position, again, is to the lower level user. Because that's where they get most of the support calls from, probably. <laughs> Another question we have here is that you have the installer to download three and a half gigabytes. You're spending all this time downloading it, especially if you don't have the fastest internet connection or you had to run to the Starbucks or to another store to use their Wi-Fi connection. So suddenly you install Lion, so Apple throws the installer file in the trash. And as they used to say on a certain TV show, where's the logic in that? And before we get the answer from Ted Landau... We'll have to tell you that he's a guest on the Tech Night Out Live this week with Gene Steinberg. Ted, of course, writes for the Mac Observer and also for Macworld Magazine. We'll be back on the other side. So here's what happened. I was placing an order online. The site went down. It just stopped responding. It took hours before it returned, but I'd already placed the order with another company. If your site goes down, you could lose business. And if you have a business or personal site, you'll want to know it's easy to run and it will stay online. At iWeb, your site is hosted on one of the most reliable networks in the world. Check it out. iWeb.com. That's iWeb.com. DevonThink is a reliable information organizer, smart document manager, productivity tool, and more all in one. Devon Agent is your smart research assistant, personalized search assistant, search engine, and web browser all in one for the real answers when you search. Order these apps today. Use the coupon code TNO11, that's TNO11, for 15% off all there at DevonTechnologies.com. That's DevonTechnologies.com. Hi, I'm Mark Craighead, founder of Crossbreed Holsters. I designed our top-selling holster, the Super Tuck Deluxe, to solve the problems of being poked, pinched, and gouged while carrying concealed. The Super Tuck Deluxe is the most comfortable, most concealable holster on the market today. We offer a two-week free trial and a lifetime warranty. Visit us at CrossbreedHolsters.com. Don't forget... CrossbreedHolsters.com. Hi, this is Ted Anderson. Have you ever wondered why banks, stockbrokers, investment advisors won't talk about gold IRAs? They've been available since 1986, yet the financial industry won't recognize the value of gold for your retirement. Gold has outperformed paper investments, yet no word about IRAs. If you would like to have gold for your retirement, call 800-686-2237. Don't get left behind by rising inflation and low returns. Call 800-686-2237. Secure your future and call 1-800-686-2237. The American people think they live in a constitutional republic. Land of the free, home of the brave. Right. Just try those lines on the judge when you get a ticket or have to deal with a big bad IRS. 
Instead, use escapeharassment.com. Since 1972, our volunteer group of researchers and educators have successfully taught how to escape tickets by law, and it works. Escape Harassment has three different steps to follow, depending on where you are in the ticket process. Learn how to escape tickets, IRS, or court proceedings before you go to court. For free, three-minute pre-recorded information and FAQs, call this toll-free number, one 877 9009. That's 877-457-9009. Or go to escapeharassment.com and see our money-back guarantee. That's escapeharassment.com. Remember, escape harassment works. Will I have garlic breath after I take Ali C? We get that question all the time about the world's best garlic extract, Ali C. And the answer is, Ali C contains stabilized allicin, nature's antimicrobial agent, and the active ingredient in crushed garlic, but will not give you garlic breath. Scientifically proven in double-blind studies, using low doses of allicin greatly reduces the number, severity, and duration of common colds. Our powerful Ali C contains 300 milligrams of stabilized allicin. Just one tablet of Ali C is equivalent to 40 garlic cloves. It's effective against asthma. MRSA, bacterial, fungal, and viral infections, and helps lower high blood pressure and high cholesterol. Plus, it's a natural mosquito repellent. Boosts resistance to infection with nature's best garlic extract, Ali C. For more information and to order Ali C, call 877-888-7126 or go to garlichealthproducts.com. That's 877-888-7126 or garlichealthproducts.com. Fight back with Ali C. Are you tired of searching for great talk radio? Something more important. Search no more. We are the GCN Radio Network. Do you know what's going to happen next? Well, here's the Tech Night Owl. Live with Gene Steinberg. We have Ted Landau, and we're talking about Mac OS X Lion, and I raised the question that he's responding to. They're simplifying it. Are they dumbing it down? What are they doing? And the answer so far is to make it more friendly to the user. So I posed a question in the last session about putting the Lion installer in the trash. I spent all this time downloading this thing. Why do I want to throw it away? Well, you may not want to throw it away. I certainly didn't want to throw it away. And what you have to do then is know that that's going to happen and pull it out of the trash or make a copy of it before you actually install Lion and put that copy someplace else. So you have a version of it left after the Lion installation is over. Why Apple chose to do it that way, I mean, I could come up with a reason. I certainly certainly haven't clued me into their precise logic. I mean, one idea is that once it's installed on your computer, you don't need to install it again. Uh, from that installer. And in fact, if you do need to install it again, uh, as, as you know, and we haven't really gotten into it yet, there's this recovery HD feature now where you can reinstall Lion from, simply by booting from this recovery HD. And so there is very little need to have uh, the installer on your hard drive. Even if you, you, know, you might say, well, maybe I want to install it on another computer. Well, you can install it on another computer without having to pay for it again by downloading it from the Mac App Store on that other computer. Well, of course, we get back to this same problem. Your bandwidth challenge, you have to go elsewhere to retrieve that file, or you might be in a situation where your broadband provider, whoever it might be, maybe you're just using your cell phone company and you're using a modem or interface from your cell phone provider to get the broadband. Now you've got a bandwidth cap. 
Absolutely. I, I'm trying. I, I, maybe I'm playing devil's advocate too much here. I'm trying to put the best face on it and, and, and argue it uh, from Apple's perspective. But you're absolutely right. Uh, there are times that you will want that uh, installer utility around. And it uh, will be annoying to find that it's gone when that happens. You can re-download it again, even to your own computer. Uh, typically, what you're going to have to do is hold down the option key when you click on the purchase tab in the Mac App Store. And when you do that, it will allow you to re-download another copy of the installer. Uh, so it's not as if you can't get it back. But once again, Apple is making it more difficult. And in turn, one more thing before we go on to another question. In terms of Apple making it more difficult, it's unfortunately, it's apparently, it's not just to make it user-friendly for uh, this operating system changes in Lion, uh, the client version of Lion, but, and I'm not as familiar with this because I haven't used the server version of Lion yet, but from things that I've read online, the server version of Lion is even more of a problem in this regard, and many people who uh, have used the server version of Snow Leopard are complaining that things that used to be easy to do, now they have to go to the command line and do it or there isn't a way to do it at all uh, and again they're complaining about uh, as you put it a dumbing down of server to the point where some people are claiming that the server isn't uh, functional anymore for them and they're going to look for some other solution and the same thing actually with Final Cut Pro when, fi- when the new version of Final Cut Pro came out a lot of the complaints were once again dumbing it down this is an upgrade to iMovie rather than an upgrade to Final Cut Pro was a common comment that, that I heard uh, and so Apple seems intent on multiple fronts to push their entire lineup into a less technical, more consumer-friendly direction. Or maybe they find that that's the ultimate intent that was really planned at the beginning of the Mac OS. In 1984, the first Mac, the computer for the rest of us, and now they're making a concerted effort to realize that distinction, that you shouldn't have to worry about this nonsense. It's the same reason you have an autosave feature and a resume feature and the version feature, except, of course, the autosave and the version feature require other applications to support Lion. But the ultimate goal may be commendable. It's just a further realization of the original Mac vision. Yes, and they might lose customers. I mean, it would be as if, I'm trying to think of a metaphor here, but it would be as if there was a car company that made cars that catered to race car drivers or or, or uh, off-road uh, drivers, professional drivers uh, in some way, not the type of person that just uses a car to commute to work and back. And at some point, they decide to change. They say, well, you know, the, the market is just for commuters. So the, the, we don't really care to, to cater to the off-road racing car type drivers anymore. We're going to just build cars that the standard family and people who commute to work want to use. And then you might get complaints from all those people who were race car drivers and off, off-road vehicle users and saying, oh, we can't use your car anymore. We're going to have to find some other car because uh, the features that made it good for racing and off-road driving, you're not doing anymore. And the company's response to that might be, so long. Uh, yeah, we well, Apple's that. position is that no, they're simply realizing the vision of the original Mac, and they're mm. taking it a step further. Well, that may be, but th- that not, that may not be the position of the people who are annoyed by by, the, by those changes. And 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 the, of course, the the other point is, I think there aren't that many places you can move to, uh, and maybe Apple realizes that it's not as if you know if you if you don't like what to, to keep my car metaphor going, if you don't like what General Motors is doing with their cars you can get a Ford or a Toyota or a Honda or whatever. 
if you don't like Apple, you can move to Windows, and, and really, that's about it. Uh, some people will say Linux, but, but there, there's not much choice, and most people who use a Mac are not going to be happy to move to Windows. And so, you know, unless things get really bad, I think Apple is going to keep most of their customers anyway. So maybe their feeling is this will get them more customers. And for those customers who have been using Macs for years and they're kind of upset over the change of affairs, they'll get used to it. Yeah, they're they're going to have to get used to it because uh, uh, there <laughs> there isn't there. It, this seems clear. This is the direction Apple's going. I don't I don't envision Apple suddenly waking up and saying, you know, all the stuff we didn't lie and we now realize it was a mistake. We're going to undo it. That's not going to happen. Apple never makes mistakes. No. If if anything, the next version of the operating system is going to be more in that direction. In fact, some people have hypothesized that within a few years, as the iOS gets more sophisticated and Mac OS X gets less sophisticated, if you want to look. At it that way, the two operating systems could actually merge into one. Uh, I'm not sure that's going to happen anytime soon, but it's, it's it's a serious enough idea that I keep seeing it pop up on the web. Yes, but as long as there are traditional computers, the requirements are so much different than mobile devices. It'd have to be a point where the iPad is 90% of what used to be the Mac market or something like that. So maybe you would have a power user OS for a smaller number of people or a power user mode. That's one thing I've suggested at times where you have a standard Mac interface and now you can go through all sorts of conniptions or you restart or you log out and log in in power user mode where it's Mm -hmm. more traditional, doesn't have this ease of use. But then we don't buy computers to run operating systems. We buy them to run applications to get things done. The operating system, at least as far as Apple is concerned, should just disappear. Absolutely. One of my pet ideas in those regards is to have a MacBook Air in which there's a display on both sides. When you close the lid, it's an iPad with the display up, and when you open the lid... It's a MacBook Air. Yeah, but it's kind of a big, isn't it, to get both yeah. into one? Yeah, case. or the, alternatively, you can have one display that can rotate. That's the other thing that you can do. So you close the lid, and it's closed like it is now. It's a MacBook Air when you open it. But you can rotate the lid 180 degrees and then close it. And then at that point, uh, you have an iPad. But doesn't that also take you to some of these crazy Quilt Windows tablets? Yeah. You know, with the rotating screen? Yeah, well, it's just, an, I'm not saying it's a good idea. <laughs> it's an idea I had, and I think it has some promise one day. It's an alternative to having a one device that tries to be everything with a single uh, operating system. It allows both operating systems to run at the same on the same device. Now that we've had all these cats, and we're up to Lion now, has Apple run out of cats? Maybe that's the question we can't answer. Ted Landau, where do we find more of the stuff that you work on? Mainly the Mac Observer. That's all the stuff that we've been talking about today comes from columns that I've written for the Mac Observer and a column called Ted Landau's User-Friendly View. We were going to call it Jim Stein's User-Friendly View, but Ted Landau sounded better. The other place that I write is Bugs and Fixes for Macworld uh, Magazine, and that tends to be more technical stuff. As the name implies, I talk about things that can go wrong with Mac uh, software and hardware and what you can do to make it go right again. And a reminder, folks, you can find us on Twitter, Tech Night Owl at Twitter, at Tech Night Owl, to find us on Twitter. And also we have message boards at forum.technightowl.com, forum.technightowl.com, my columns at technightowl.com, and we have that other radio show, the Paracast about UFOs, things that go bump in the night. It's now even heard in New York City at paracast.com. That's paracast.com. This has been the Tech Night Owl Live. I'm Gene Steinberg. A special thank you to Ted Landau 
for joining us on the show. Thank you, Gene. The Tech Night Owl Live is a copyrighted presentation of Making the Impossible Incorporated. We'll be back next week. Same bad time, same bad channel.